an American, a Canadian and a Brit walk into a bar. But this isn't a bad joke. This is Ladies of Valhalla. everyone and welcome to Ladies of Valhalla. My name is Sarah and I'll be your host today. I'd like to welcome you all to this latest member of the Talking Comics podcast family. This month we'll be welcoming a very special guest. But first off, please allow me to introduce my wonderful co-hosts. In alphabetical order, we have the Salacia of Science, the Chloe of CBD, the Maya of Management. It's Miss Bronwyn Kelly Say. And sitting to the other metaphorical side of me is the Sedna of spookiness, the Shellob of spiders, the Hecate of hurricane preparedness. It's Miss Jessica Schaefer. <laughs> and without further ado, I would like to introduce our very special guest today. It's the Nestor of Nadia, the Radamanthus of the Red Room, the Jupiter of Janet Van Dyne. It's Mr. Jeremy Whitley. Hey, guys. How are we all doing today, then, folks? Doing well. Doing great. Yeah. Compared to compared to having a hurricane bearing down this the last few uh, days, it's it's much better now. <laughs> yeah, that that does seem to be a general theme for large parts of America is <laughs> risk of hurricane. Um, I, I'm gonna be honest; it doesn't make America seem overly appealing to me. <laughs> Honestly, it's really just the parts of America you want to live in that yeah. have to <laughs> deal with hurricanes. <laughs> All the desirable places that you'd like to live, we deal with hurricanes. That's pretty much where. Yeah, Nebraska, zero hurricanes. See, isn't that making Canada look a lot better? You can live in Ontario and not deal with hurricanes. (laughs) Yeah, but you have, like, moose. Yeah, but not not (laughs) in South Ontario. I like that. That's on the problem list. The moose is not okay. She's not guaranteeing you in the greater Toronto area. You're not going to see a moose. You're much more likely to have, you know, giant flocks of geese. (laughs) Also, skunks. I'm going to be honest. Steve talks about skunks a lot. It's very off-putting. Oh, my God. The skunks are definitely out to get Steve. It's a thing. It's actually funny. (laughs) They're really friendly. If you don't scare them, you're good to go. They're they're very intrusion friendly. Like they they actually like urban areas, and you know they're they're pretty chill as long as you don't scare them. They uh, they really 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 have it out for Steve though. <laughs> well, I was told this week at work that I'm very intimidating, and many of the crews are scared of me. Oh, so no. <laughs> let's never put me near a skunk just in case. You know. Maybe we maybe we avoid that. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 not do that. Um, also, I don't think I'm that scary. I don't get where this comes from. Um. <laughs> let's move swiftly on and talk to Mr. Whitley. Now, Jeremy, it's been um, six months since we last had you on the show, and a lot has happened in that time. 
Um, so obviously we're going to focus today on Unstoppable Wasp. But in the meantime, what have you been up to? What is going on in the world of Whitley? Oh, um, it's, has it really been that long? It's, Sorry. Um, it, seems, it seems both like it couldn't possibly have been that long and that it must have been like 10 years. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because since, since last we talked... Um, Unstoppable Wasp uh, finished up its its uh, ten issue run. Um, I am currently writing Future Foundation, uh, which just had its second issue come out this last week. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, see, we've gotten volumes I think seven and eight of Princess out in that time, and volume nine is is getting ready to come out in the next couple of months. Um, Raven is is trekking right along as always. Um, feel like there's almost certainly other things i just had a page in marvel comics 1000 a couple weeks ago so um, i'm keeping busy (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like you've been up to a lot in that case um and also i've noticed from your social media you've been doing a lot of cooking yeah it looks delightful (laughs) thank you yeah it's um you know i i almost never cooked until like a a few months back, um, I had, you know, a couple of like standard bachelor standby dishes that I could get by with. Um, and I had never really, <laughs> I never really learned how to cook. Cause I'm, I'm one of those people who doesn't like doing things that I don't know how to do already. Mm. Um, <laughs> like, Oh, I'm good at this. So let me continue to improve. Not like, Oh, I don't know how to do this. So I'm going to continue looking like an idiot for a while. Um, <laughs> while I figure it out. But, uh, we started doing, um, HelloFresh, which is, you know, one of those media or uh, delivery kits, meal delivery kits where you get to like and go cook your own meal. They send you all the ingredients and stuff. Steve and I do that, um, too. Yeah. And I, I think that was a really nice kind of soft start to it is, is like, here is all the stuff you need. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you can make this thing with these things. And here is how you do it. Not like me going to the store and, and having to like look up pictures of what this ingredient is that, you know, this recipe online is asking for. It's like, what is a shallot? (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at onions. I'm looking at green onions, but they're saying shallots. And I don't, is there a difference? I don't know. Um, (laughs) So like that, that was always the hard thing for me, but like I started doing it through, you know, through HelloFresh and like we built up a couple of recipes and there's, there's always like ones I, I don't really care for, but there's a few that like have been really good. So uh, like started building up this backlog. So now uh, each you know week or so, especially with my wife uh, who's a teacher, going back to work these last few weeks, it's like we'll we'll get the two deliveries and the meal kit, and then I'll you know pick up the stuff for two or three more dinners, and then you know as I finish doing my writing for the day and she's picking up the kids, I can like jump on having dinner ready when they like get home. So it's it's been, it's been really nice and it's nice to have something that's sort of, sort of like an art and a hobby that uh, isn't also work (laughs) because I think that's, that's the problem with writing is, is everything you like start doing becomes uh, a job. Well, I can say from the pictures that you've been posting, it looks incredible. Mm -hmm. It does look delicious. 
I've been, uh, yeah, I've been salivating over your pictures recently. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on one of my ridiculous kicks at the moment where I eat hardly any calories. And I'm like, I'm just going to look at other people's food. On <laughs> That'll be fine. Yeah. Everything is fine. <laughs> We're um, eating vicariously. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm starving, but everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because HelloFresh always has like, they have some vegetarian options in there. So occasionally I'll, I'll throw some of those things in the cart and be like, all right, this is healthy, right? I mean, it's slathered in cheese, but it doesn't have meat in it, which means it must be healthy. <laughs> See, the irony being I'm the opposite way, like 90% of my plate will be covered in meat. And then the other bit will be like, I'll just put some cursory broccoli on the side. (laughs) It's green. It must be good for me. Can't eat Um, those carbs anymore. They don't like me. (laughs) The carbs are not my friend. I'm all about the protein. Mm. Yeah, protein is It's it's rough with cooking for kids, too, because, like, my, my daughters would eat pasta nonstop if they could like yeah. just pasta and pizza and it's like oh you guys like just want to eat like they want to order like three three different carbs for breakfast it's like <laughs> pancakes with the biscuits on the side and then, <laughs> some kind of pie for, for dessert and i'm just like ah oh, okay i know this is going well <laughs> but they're young they need the energy yes that's, that's the only excuse I've got for them, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sarah's trying for your children right now. Mostly it's because I love the idea of eating pancakes and then pie for breakfast. Right? It just sounds amazing. Oh. <laughs> I wish so much more exciting than protein oats. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Anyway, now that I've made myself hungry again, <laughs> um, this, is, this is like a standing thing at the moment. Let's talk about Wasp. First up on the Wasp front, why unstoppable above any other appellation? I mean, Marvel historically have done things that are, I was about to say illiterate, illiterate. There's been a lot of alliteration. Um, So things like... Just to be clear, folks, um, that's with an A. Yes. (laughs) Alliteracy. Alliteration. New now, next, more, bigger. Are you those? Is that what you're talking about? Marvel, Marvel, new, Marvel outstanding. No, no, no. Like, like, um, <laughs> Superior Spider-Man, or I literally can't think of another example now. <laughs> Brilliant. In my head, I've got like J. Jonah Jameson and yeah. Krang the Conqueror. It's just things extreme like Extreme X-Men. Yeah. Oh, yes. there you go. Oh, yes. okay. Things I get like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you went with Unstoppable for Wasp. What made you choose Unstoppable now that I've just waffled for like 20 minutes to get the question <laughs> out? Uh, that was that was actually a, a much longer process than I feel like anybody would imagine of like us figuring out what to name the book. Because it was just after sort of the period of, of everything being all new, all different. And uh, we didn't want to do another all new, all different book out there, especially considering like... Uh, you know, I wanted to use Janet in it. I didn't didn't want it to be all that different. Um, <laughs> so we kind of played around with the, the different ideas of, of you know what Nadia's thing would be. Like they they frequently used um, winsome as the adjective for for Janet, 
And um, there's there's not that many uh, great adjectives that start with W's that feel just like comic booky. Um, and I, I was going for a, a feeling of, of something that I, I didn't feel like was there for a lot of uh, female heroes of you know it not not necessarily having something to do specifically with her strength, but her strength of character, her um, you know, inability to be quashed or stopped, or um, you know she's she's a character who who doesn't quit regardless of all sort of the horrible things that she's been through. Um, and unstoppable ended up being what we settled on because I, I liked the way it sounded and sounded and unbeatable was already taken. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I liked the idea of, um, you know, usually when comics refer to a character as being unstoppable, they're, they're talking very much about physical power and almost always about a large male character. Um, mm. And the idea of, of using that idea of being unstoppable to be very specifically something different and to, to be reflecting sort of a, a young female character felt um, sort of quietly revolutionary to me. And that's, I think that's sort of our mission statement with a lot of the stuff with Wasp was like, like doesn't necessarily sound like revolutionary when you first say it, but like the more you kind of think about it, it's like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's not, not something you would hear or think of normally. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that's a really cool mission. <laughs> yeah. Quietly revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, James Santana, who is one of our listeners, he got in touch with us over on Facebook and he wanted to tell you that bringing Riri into the book was dope, which I believe is youth speak for very good. <laughs> He's not um, even that young. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> James is who works. James works with me at the comic book store. That's who James is. He's my age. He's lovely. Amazing. He does love. I know, Riri. but I read his comment, and he was like, "Please tell Jeremy that bringing Riri into the book was dope." Even I nice. just read it and went, "Young people speak." Um, but that kind of led me onto the question: Who chooses the cameo characters? Do you kind of go in with like a wish list, saying, "Please, can I have these people in my book?" Or is there some like magic Marvel system that allocates out cameos to different books? Or is please it just let there be a magic of... Marvel system? <laughs> yeah, I really <laughs> want to hear that. I I don't think. I mean, other than some of the stuff with, with Future Foundation, I, I don't think I've ever had anybody specifically request that I have a character appear in in one of my books. Um, I think almost almost all the time, and with all the cameos in Wasp because there are a ton of them, especially in the second volume. Um, They're all basically, I just write characters into the story and wait for somebody to tell me no. (laughs) 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 And when they don't, they end up in the story. Yeah. Instead of permission. Yeah. 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 Because I knew in that, uh, in those first couple issues that I, I wanted to get across the idea that Nadia is sort of, uh, overstretched that she's doing too many things. And I knew if I was going to do that, I needed to like have all these different places that she is actually appearing, like in champions be part of the, the story. Uh, and I was like, all right, I want to have the champions appear, but I can't at this point have like the full 
seven characters in these couple of pages and, and really do anything like worthwhile with them. Um, mm. So, you know, as like, I want to have two characters who, who do I want here? And uh, like Viv was an obvious choice because, you know, she's related to Nadia. They have a little bit closer of a uh, uh, connection to begin with, but uh, yeah, Riri was uh, like my, my other first choice because I wanted to have, you know, sort of this, uh, trio of, of girls on the team. I've wanted, you know, three characters that were flying so we can do that sort of fly in and land on the rooftop bit at the beginning of that. And um, I, I also needed to, I, I wanted to have somebody that was going to look at what Nadia was doing and be like, uh, she's just sort of, she's not doing this the most intelligent possible way. She's just sort of <laughs> flying straight ahead at it. Um, also, also, I wanted, uh, I feel like, Riri is a strong suggestion for just like, oh yeah, she's the one that's like, okay, but can I use lasers to just melt the bowl? Like, <laughs> <laughs> seems like the reasonable thing to do. Uh, but I'm yeah, be honest, I think... lasers lasers make everything better, right? I mean, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, lasers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, there's like there's a list a mile long of, of characters I'd I'd like to have in the book, and I keep kind of sticking them in there and seeing like what I can get away with. Um, and occasionally I get told no, but that's, that's usually with the reason of like, Oh, they're doing this other thing or, Oh, this seems completely superfluous. <laughs> I wish I'd have to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It kind of is. Um, Are you allowed to tell us who you got, who you weren't allowed to include? <laughs> um, I think, let's see. I can't think of too many that I would just straight up shot down. I think the first draft of the Nadia's birthday party issue, there were just like literally too many characters um, <laughs> because I, I was like, all right, who else can I possibly fit in here? Like I had all of the young Avengers in there already. I had uh, most of the champions. Um, I had a bunch of like uh, different characters who were tangentially related to Nadia. I think at one point, the, the biggest part that ended up getting cut from that is um, I had, had uh, a sort of a, a guest appearance by a couple of the runaways um, in there. Yeah, because, you know, uh, Victor is Ultron's kid and, um, you know, there's that whole other connection there. Um, and that was literally like I wrote him into the book and then I was like, oh, man, he is responsible for the death of Viv's brother. And Viv is sort of a major <laughs> part of this story. And that would mean like me either ignoring that or having to tackle that, which is like a, at least five pages of this issue. And yeah. uh, it's be totally not, uh, not, not my circus and not my monkeys. Um, <laughs> so I, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut all of this. Like, cause you know, uh, Alana was already like, yeah, there's too much in here. There's too many characters, too much going on. Um, you need to cut some of this down. Um, and so I was like, all right, that is the obvious one to go. Uh, I was like, I want to have Dr. Doom in here because I want to like touch on Nadia's interaction with Dr. Doom from Avengers. And uh, that was a, that was a hard no, because he was like <laughs> at that same time reappearing in fantastic four, like just having become a bad guy again. They're like, yeah, uh, he can't yeah. just show up at this place. <laughs> but bad guys have to go to parties too. To. 
Good lady. I would have loved to see Dr. Doom go dancing. I'm just going to say that. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed. I didn't get to see him in that big dance scene. <laughs> I feel like Doom would pretty much make any party about him, though, right? Like, this is be a terrible yeah. person to have at your party. Yeah, yeah that is true. <laughs> There's something about the megalomaniac kind of persona that would always try to make a party about themselves. So there are a few key people you just don't invite. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that might actually trigger the villainous tendencies. So, yeah, <laughs> tough, tough. <laughs> yeah, imagine if like somebody brought the same present that he did, and oh no, uh, oh, and, no. Oh, no, or wore the same yeah, tie. Oh, oh no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to bring a backup outfit. Uh-huh. You dare wear the tie of doom? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Richards. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I really need to see this party now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> oh god, it's so amazing. <laughs> I might actually just That's have right. to commission someone. That's what I was just going to do. Dance party. <laughs> We're going Comic Con real soon. <laughs> Who wants to draw this? <laughs> I oh, feel like we just need to get the right group of cosplayers to just reenact that party at some point. You know, oh, I'm, I'm completely down for this. Yes, let's do this. For champions cosplayers, a whole group of Young Avengers cosplayers, mm-hmm. Janet and Iron Man and everybody else. Oh, so good. <laughs> I mean, I know someone who's got an Iron Man suit of armor. I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> I am not bringing that to New York, though. There is, there is no way in heck I am trying Imagine to get that. Iron Man armor and free security. I mean, depending on how accurate it is, you just bypass security entirely the way Tony would. Oh, it does not fly. <laughs> Tony Stark. It does not fly. No. Sadly. The sign says, no guns, no bombs. doesn't say anything about repulsors. Right? <laughs> Exactly. And I'm just saying. I have enough trouble getting my medication through security, let <laughs> alone explaining why I've got an LED test plate. And I'm also, like, I'm saying ship it here, but I've been getting packages for Sarah in the mail. Like, there's just packages <laughs> showing up at my door. For, Dan's like, this is for Sarah? I'm like, yeah, she's shipping things here. For what she gets. <laughs> Considerably cheaper than shipping it to the UK. Yeah. And also, there might be presents in some of those packages. I haven't opened any of them. I just keep them all closed and they're on my table in the little Sarah section. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. That's good, because when I say there might be presents, there definitely will be presents in some of those packages. (laughs) There we go. Anyway, reining it back. (laughs) Um, There there is um, a lot of social commentary in the whole of Unstoppable Wasp. Um, one example that really stuck out for me was the teenage girls in the issue four of the first arc. Um, do you deliberately put social commentary in the book for the teen readers or for the adult readers or for both of them? Um, I think it's for both, honestly. I, I think, like, um, I, I wanted to get a feeling of, you know, these these different characters, different experiences, and um, you know, in, in the case of uh, Priya in issue four, like she's, um, and there's a lot of her 
trying to be this this version of what she thinks is normal and trying to get away from um you know being both both smart and you know feeling like she doesn't fit into this sort of uh general white kid high school culture um and like I, I wanted that to be a, a part of of her experience and who she was um and to have these sort of obviously awful people that she is is <laughs> That they're sort of mutually pretending that they're friends um, in, in this case uh, you know just so we could have that that bit of, of, of seeing her uh, trying to, to push this away just like she's trying to push Nadia away at, at the beginning of that part of the issue um, and that she you know, slowly embraces throughout the course of the story and that part of that is also her uh, sort of running from the experiences of her brother who you know, uh, did not ever manage to feel like he fit in and, and be part of the world as he, he saw it, um, you know, which is, is something that comes in much, much later in the story. Um, yeah, it was, it's important for me for, I think, people to, to see that both when it, you know, reflects their personal experience, if, if they're like Priya, if, if they've experienced this sort of, um, overt uh annoying racism um this you know the, the very basic uh topical racism um mm. but also if you know maybe maybe they are those kids and you know you see sort of that reflection of yourself in the story and you're like oh wait maybe i do suck um maybe i should do better <laughs> that's um yeah that that's a, a very good way of putting it it'd be nice to kind of that somebody yeah. was seeing that in themselves and could actually sort of reflect enough on that to, to maybe infect some change. I hope that I there are it's... people like that. I hope there are people that can see themselves in that and like fix, fix themselves. Yeah. I think it's quite difficult to realize that you're the bad person. Um, mm. So I think seeing it in media definitely would help with that. Um, now, when I said we were going to take a deep dive into Wasp, I wasn't joking. Going back to issue one <laughs> of the first series from 2017, and this is something that I've often wondered about. Jeremy, when you write Nadia, what sort of accent, if any, does she have in your head? Um, so I've, I've gotten this question a lot because... Um, you know, because Nadia grew up in Russia. Um, in my head, though, she doesn't have any any particular accent that you'd be able to pick out um, because, you know, she was sort of raised to be a spy, so um, she should sort of fit in wherever. She shouldn't have a noticeable accent. Um, so you know, that that's sort of my idea of how she sounds, uh, except for in sort of extreme circumstances. Um yeah, because there's you know one point much later in the series where she's very tired and upset and start speaking Russian without really meaning to. Um, but I, I, for the most part, she just sounds like uh, an, an excitable uh, teenage girl, you know, that you you might see in a, an American movie, sort of that non-accent Hollywood accent. What about you, ladies? How do you hear her voice? Uh, I actually heard her much the way Jeremy described her. I thought uh, being from the Red Room that she would be raised to speak a lot of different languages and uh, to 
fit in pretty much anywhere, but most specifically um, sort of anywhere regionally North America, because that would be her sort of main target for uh, assassinations. <laughs> um, and also for like mad science since she was in the science room, right? So like if, if she was going to be infiltrating anything, uh, it would probably be, you know, vast majority would be sort of North American targets, right? So um yeah, I anticipated that she would not have a significant um, regional accent um, and would be more sort of generic North American as much as possible. Uh, so that's kind of how I heard her when she was, was speaking. Yeah, I always, about you, Jess? I always kind of, I don't know, I, I think of it, for some reason in my mind, I read her as almost like a sweet teenage girl voice that like, like you said, very, very maybe Northeast, like North American type accent, because she comes off with this, she is very sweet, she has a sweetness about her and this, you know, um, innocence almost. You know, and when when she speaks, so I always kind of have that like, like, hi, my name's Nadia. I'm here to help you. Can you talk <laughs> yes. to me for a minute? Like, don't you know that kind of? For some reason, that's always how I read her. Maybe that's because I, how I speak to people out in public. <laughs> but like, yeah, my inner boy, my inner like five year old. You know, like my inner yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I always have that pictured. I know that she's, you know, a trained assassin and everything like that, but I can't, I don't hear her in like a Russian accent, you know, like, hello, my name is Nadia. You know, that's my, uh, that's not how, that's not how it comes out to me. It comes out, I, I think it's maybe the way Jeremy writes her, but that she does have that like innocence and that sweetness when she speaks and she's always trying to be nice and good. So you kind of get that like, you know, people, it's like a natural thing. People tend to get that a little bit of a high pitch when you're trying to be like, Hi, you know, so, so yeah, that's how that's how I always envision her as happy and teenage. <laughs> She's more pinky pie than goth. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think somebody somebody asked me if like she were to show up in uh, like Marvel Rising, um, who who would I uh, who would I cast to do you know her voice if it were up to me, uh, and and I did. Uh, actually, I mentioned Pinkie Pie's voice actress India, Andrea Lipman, yes. um, who like yeah, that's that's sort of in the same area that I would be I would be thinking. Awesome, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's what I got out of it, so I'm happy about, yeah. happy about that. Never no. right, Joan. Because <laughs> I've had the realization that I read everyone ever with my accent. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> British. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that works sense, if you're reading uh, Kieran's Young Avengers. Oh, there you yes. go. <laughs> um, and it, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Jarvis. I'm, I'm all good <laughs> with Jarvis. Because um, if he doesn't have a British accent, I'm going to be incredibly upset, um, given some of the Britishisms that he comes out with. But yeah, I, I just had that realisation that I was reading it and sort of got to the bit where she does start speaking Russian. And I was like, but oh yeah. At one point in the book, no English. they say to Jarvis that Jarvis isn't actually British. Yeah, Jarvis, Jarvis speaks with a British accent. Canonically, he speaks with a British accent, even though he is not British. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is from New York. Uh, I think he's actually from Brooklyn as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, because he because he buttles, he speaks with a proper British, proper British accent. That's amazing, <laughs> as it should be. <laughs> I like it. Um, just me ranting about butlers. Um, <laughs> way back when, in that first issue, Nadia says, "If I spent the rest of my life being bitter, then I never really escaped." 
does that kind of line of dialogue have a certain point of inspiration for you or does it just come to you out of nowhere or do you sort of sit there doing what I would do if I was trying to write something like that and just stare at the page for ages how how do you how do you craft speech in comics um for a lot of it the the dialogue is the easy part for me it comes sort of naturally um to the point that sometimes it sort of runs over the amount of space it should be taking up um it's you know i think wasp is, is particularly notable for that you can see just uh how if you look at it you can see just how good joe caramagna makes me look by his lettering and that uh everything in that book should just run all over all the pictures <laughs> but between, uh, <laughs> between him and Elsa and Gurihiru and, you know, our, our other guest artists, they all do an incredible job of, of making everything fit in there. Um, that particular line was, it, it was just a sort of an expression of, of something that I sort of decided early on with writing that character. Um, so I've talked a bit about, you know, when I was, uh, First starting out on the book, I sort of asked Mark Wade, who had created her, like, yeah, when, what should this be about? What should we do in this story? <laughs> and uh, uh, he told me that uh, he wasn't going to give any answer to that, that I should figure it out myself. Um, <laughs> Thanks. And, yeah, well, you know, this is very like, yeah, it's your book. Don't don't let me tell you what to write. Like, uh, you know, this is, this is your thing. And, uh, you know, we sort of, uh, I... I one of the first things I, I figured out about Nadia, both from, from what he'd written and, and from what I was putting together is that like, she was going to be tonally very different from black widow. Like I didn't want to just write a young black widow book, um, you know, where she was very like torn up and, and continued to be, you know, sort of openly traumatized um, both physically and mentally about red room stuff that, that Nadia had made this decision that like, if she continues to, you know, think about that and be bothered by that, that, um, you know, it's, it's letting them win. Um, mm. and that, you know, she, she had made this decision to, to go out and make up for all that time that she lost. Um, and that was, you know, what she was going to do. Um, so, you know, that, that, that particular piece of dialogue came, I think pretty naturally with that. Um, because I think it's one of the first things I really like nailed down about that character. Mm. Um, and another thing that you wrote back then was, I want to do everything. I want to fix everything. I want to make a difference. And that really comes back later on in the second arc um, with Nadia's mental health. And when she actually writes her list of trying to fix everything, was that something that you already had in your mind guiding those later decisions or was it just kind of a happy accident that 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 came so early on and then you could hark back to that later on it was definitely like there are a lot of things in those first handful of issues that i was like i want to plant a seed for this thing later that i want to do fully realizing that uh, or I guess not fully realizing at that point that I might not be able to do those things, uh, that I'm, I might not have the, the time or number of issues to like touch on everything I wanted to do. Um, but I wanted to make sure to, to plant that stuff in there earlier, especially um, the stuff about 
not in his mental health. Uh, mm. There's there's stuff about you know Priya's brother that's sort of in there, not totally filled out. They don't tell you everything about you know what's what's gone on with him, but there's there's a mention of of him in there, and you know little things like that that like I can plant these seeds now, and you know hopefully later I'll have the chance to uh, sort of harvest this as part of a story and come back around and, and be important. And um, yeah, I hadn't like fixated on that, uh, that fix everything idea yet, but like the idea of her wanting to, to do everything and experience everything and, and uh, fix everything was, was definitely like something that I had planted in my mind is like, okay, at some point she's going to actually have, you know, a chance to do all these things she wants to do. And, you know, it's it's going to be too much. Mm. Okay, I like that fact. I like I like the planting of the seeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now we mentioned Jarvis earlier <laughs> in issue two. We get some very very British self depreciating humour from Jarvis. <laughs> how how did you approach writing Jarvis and getting his voice? Did you actually speak to? or communicate with any Brits to kind of get those vocal mannerisms down? Where did you, cause he does sound incredibly British. <laughs> um, well, um, my, uh, my grandfather is British on my mom's side. Um, and he's, you know, lived in America for, for all my life, but, um, uh, he, he is, uh, he is incredibly British to the point of, uh, having uh, been a, been a bomber in the RAF during world war two, um, mm. which I, I don't feel like you can get any more British than that. Um, <laughs> so like, I, I think I, I grew up with a lot of like the, um, he, he was a big fan of like faulty towers and um, <laughs> sort of uh, o- older British, uh, you know, BBC humor. And I, I think I picked a lot of that up and generally, I think appreciated it much more as I got older as, as a kid, uh, I think sitting through faulty towers is, is, uh, pretty annoying, but you know, coming back to that stuff, mm-hmm. coming back to that stuff later as a, you know, teen and 20 something, I was like, Oh, this is actually, actually pretty good. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I, I watched a lot of British television, um, read a lot of English literature, obviously, but, um, yeah, I, I actually just before I was on here I was watching uh, uh, Great British Bake Off. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it, it's it's something that I don't know comes somewhat naturally to me because I, I like listening to how people speak and um, you know trying to be able to sort of recreate little things about mannerisms and, and phrasing and things like that. Um, that I pick up on. I was saying something about Kieran Gillen earlier. I noticed there are a lot of his characters have sort of witty British guy phrasing in their, <laughs> in, their uh, in, in the way they speak. And, uh, occasionally like, like, ah, man, that's, that's what I got to get. I got to be able to deliver dialogue like Kieran Gillen. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but, um, you know, that's, uh, I think they're the first, the first comic I ever wrote, which uh, is not in any sort of like real publication now, um, like the the main characters were all are all British, and uh, it, it's 
So, all right, going way back to this. Um, the, <laughs> the first comic I, I ever wrote that uh, actually got illustrated is a, is a comic called uh, The Order of Dagonet, um, which is the story about the uh, basically all the mythological creatures of uh, British lore return uh, and start taking over Britain. And um, the uh, all of the knights of England are called by Merlin to stop them. Um, but, of course, most of the uh, current knights of Britain are either... Uh, too old to fight or are actually celebrities. Um, <laughs> the story is about the Order of Dagonet, which is this uh, fictional order of, of, of knights who are all entertainers, because Dagonet is, is King Arthur's jester, um, who's, who's made a, a knight as a joke. Um, and uh, so it's about these characters who are very like thinly veiled, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Elton John, Neil Gaiman... <laughs> Um, oh my yes. god! I need to read this book. <laughs> and uh, oh, Ian McKellen. Uh, yeah, yeah. is very clearly Ian McKellen. Um, yeah, and they're they're all sort of uh, trying to. They're all in America living at this point, and they're all trying to get back to Britain to to uh, <laughs> go fight dragons and giants <laughs> and things like that. So. Oh, this, this sounds, sounds so amazing. amazing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I need yeah, this in my will, life. I will have to see if I can't uh, <laughs> if I can dig those up. Oh, yeah, thanks. these were all uh, self-published. I think it's five or six issues myself and uh, my friend Jason Strutz did. Um, but it was it was very important to me to get those characters uh, to sound as... Um, I don't want to say obnoxiously British as possible. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. Obnoxiously call, British is fine. I call it painfully <laughs> British when it's Sarah. <laughs> yes. Yep. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, God, there's nothing about this I don't love. <laughs> I very, very badly need to read that book. Oh, my now. God, so much. So much. I think you need to do another run of this, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, if, if I could, uh, actually, I've tried to bring it back at one point and it had very, like, very limited success. Um, and uh, at some point, I, I want to, I'd love to come back around to uh, doing more stuff with it because it was, it was a lot of fun and uh, I think has, has merit. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I will 100% purchase it. Oh my yeah. goodness, yes. Sign <laughs> me. I'm, I'm just sitting here chuckling at the idea of it. Oh my God, my face actually hurts a little bit. <laughs> um, now, something that Nadia says, and this kind of sticks with your writing process Nadia says it's easier to think without pants on sometimes. <laughs> that is clearly clearly that line is going to amuse me because I am British and pants mean something different here um, but is it just Nadia that thinks it's easier to think without trousers or 
Is Jeremy also one of those stay-at-home writers who apparently this is a thing that happens when you work from home? Is you don't is wear pants? Becomes yeah. Listen, I told you optional. Look, Look, the state of pants is highly underrated. Okay, yeah. I'm just. <laughs> I told you most of the time that we are recording, I do not have pants on. Okay, like anytime you're talking to me during the day, I don't have pants on. There is no point for pants. <laughs> pants you know, it's, are questionable. It's <laughs> It's funny that actually, like, this is the opposite of me, is, like, even if I'm working from home, if I'm working, like, like all right, I have to go put, like, some pants and a shirt on, and, like, my wife will make fun of me because I'll be, uh, I'll be working from home, sitting here at the, at the desk or at the table, like, fully dressed, shoes and everything. Oh, my God, like, shoes? You're, oh, you're at home. No. <laughs> you don't need to be wearing that. Like, it's actually much... It's actually much closer to my wife who like literally, you know, to to this day, like walks in the door coming from work and just takes her pants off. Like Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, all right, I'm home. Here go the pants. Um, I don't have to wear these anymore, so I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel that deeply. I feel like connecting with your wife. <laughs> yeah, she sounds like our kind of lady. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, I'm I'm more with Jeremy. Even if I work from home, I still put work clothes on. Still got to dress the part. Oh man! I have to be able to separate those things because if uh, if I don't put the work clothes on, I will continue to like dawdle around and and not quite get to work and be halfway on my phone while I'm supposed to be writing. End up at my Xbox for some reason. So I it's mean, like a mental thing for you, though. I get that. I, that I can sense. understand that. Setting boundaries. Yeah. I uh, yeah. You have to you have to be in the zone. I can very. I very rarely work from home, so it's not so much of an issue for me. I. Uh, it's tough to bring the lab home. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. See, I only work from home now, and uh, you know sometimes those pants don't go on for two three days. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's a treat for me when I get to work from home and I don't have to wear pants. It's pretty exciting. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, way way back, right at the start, we start getting introduced to um, all of the other members of Girl, the Genius in Action Research Labs, um, and we get to meet Tina Miranda in Washington Heights. Now, to me. That's a very, very clear Hamilton reference. <laughs> what made you throw a Hamilton reference into this book in particular? Or was it just one of those things that you were like, I'm currently listening to Hamilton. I will put this into this book. Um, so, well, I, I was, uh, I was, and I guess continue to be very, a very big fan of, of Hamilton and of Lin-Manuel Miranda, like more widely. Um, and actually like, um, so Alexis, Taina's sister is, is the first, um, character who actually appears in, like she, she appears in a story before Taina because she is in the, uh, Kate Bishop story that I wrote, um, oh. as part of a year in Marvels. Um, and I very specifically, like I wanted to, it, it strikes me that there are not um, enough characters who sort of reflect the actual makeup of New York in mm. um, 
in a lot of like comics based in New York. Um, and, and even when, you know, we do see, Oh, black characters, um, very, very rarely do we see sort of the actual range of, of types of characters that are, um, you know, in New York, mm. uh, mm. particularly the number of, of Puerto Rican people that live in New York is, I feel like is very underrepresented. Um, and I was like, I, I wanted to have a Puerto Rican character in the story. I wanted all these characters to be from New York. Um, and uh, when I was creating Girl for Wasp, I was like, all right, I, I want to have, uh, you know, I do want a Puerto Rican character as, as part of the story. Um, I was like, well, I have, I created Alexis already. Alexis is too old. She's in college. She's like established in that story. Uh, but I was like, you know, I, I can bring her back and I can introduce her, you know, younger sister um, and have, you know, this, this Puerto Rican character. And I was like, well, where do these guys live in New York? And I was like, ah, well, obviously they have to live in, in Washington Heights. Um, yeah. Because I, uh, I love in the Heights. It's also a, a great musical. Uh, if people mm-hmm. love Hamilton. Haven't listened to in the Heights have to go. Like you can download the cast recording for that right now. Um, it's a little harder to listen to without having seen the play than Hamilton is because there are more sort of spoken scenes than Hamilton. Um, you, you only get sort of bits and pieces of the story, but the music is, is fantastic and the cast they have on there is really amazing. Um, yeah, I was like, well, you know, if, if we're already going with this character's last name being Miranda, um, let's, let's just keep going with this thread and, and make them from Washington Heights. Um, and, as also, it was, it was it fit well for me because I wanted to have them living in sort of an old brownstone where they have you know the fire escapes because Tain has created a little you know elevator out there to help her uh, get up and down more quickly since she and she has the crutches. Um, so the whole the whole thing worked together really well for me, and I was like, well, you know, this is this is an obvious Lin Manuel Miranda reference, and uh, I think it took people like. I think the first time anybody said anything to me was like six months after that issue came out. And I was like, Oh, all right. I guess maybe it wasn't as obvious as I thought it was. <laughs> also for anyone who hasn't seen in the Heights, they have just finished recording a movie version of it. Oh, That's wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be great. Yes. So um, I'm 99% certain that you can't see in the Heights anywhere in the UK. So obviously when the movie comes out, I will be able to rectify that because I am still somewhat smug about having seen Hamilton. <laughs> nice. Only I once. See, I managed to see Hamilton and In the Heights within a month of each other, which was really like oh, that's impressive. amazing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if they meant to do it, but there's um, the Durham Performing Arts Center here in, in where I live in Durham uh, gets a lot of the big like uh, traveling uh, companies of, of plays that come through so like they got Hamilton and I'm um, I'm fairly certain that the like folks at the um, North Carolina theater in Raleigh were like okay well they've got Hamilton we can't afford that but we can do in the heights and it'll be a nice old tie in um, get, get this take advantage of some of those audiences that will be going to see Hamilton and, and ended up being really really great like seeing those back to back because they're they're both really amazing. Uh, you can just make a make a day of it. Watch one, and then you know, watch In the Heights, and then watch Hamilton, and then uh, I guess go see uh, Moana. <laughs> 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 
Moana. Don't give me that. Sounds that sounds like an amazing way to spend a day. Mm-hmm. Actually, right. I'm, I'm incredibly jealous of that now. <laughs> um, I like there was a little in... Moana in there. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have a little Moana. Just a little in Moana. There. You always always need a little Moana. Um, another character that we got introduced to early on in the first arc was Amber, and obviously she has um, a Tesla tattoo. She has a Sagan tattoo. How did her character come about and was there always a plan for her to come back in the later issues? Uh, there was definitely not a plan for her to come back when I, I first created her. Um, I, I created her in that scene to be sort of a, um, a character for, for Nadia to win over. Somebody who obviously, like, when Nadia shows up is, uh, is antithetical empathetical to her like uh cheery demeanor who doesn't seem to find her uh song about her new cell phone charming um <laughs> who is uh obviously of a a bit of a like tougher stock than nadia appears to be um who like within the couple minutes of her standing there waiting for jarvis like immediately they bond over you know the stuff and nadia wins her over and you know by the time she leaves they're new best friends now um, and that's sort of this idea of her, you know, reaching to the, reaching out to other people and, and creating this sort of wider scientific community out of girl. Um, and like, yeah, there was just definitely a, a thought of maybe Amber popping up at some point along the way later. Um, but I, I realized as those issues were coming out that people like really attached to Amber and I didn't have any plans for her. um so like when we were when we were bringing the series back like i I wanted i needed to have some like new bad guys in this story because i couldn't do i didn't feel like i could go right back to the well of red room stuff and um obviously you know ying was not in a position to be the uh bad guy that she was in sort of the first part of the first volume um Mm. so I knew I wanted to do AIM, but I wanted to bring in some, you know, other, you know, uh, I was calling for most of the, the uh, run of this, the uh, bad girls. Um, and, you know, we've got your girl and then there's bad girls. Um, I like it. For, for AIM. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted some, some evil teenage scientists. Um, so, so uh, I was like, well, you know, this is, this is a great character that I had no kind of plan for. It's fun and that I can bring back. And, um, you know, people who are new to the series won't necessarily recognize her when she shows up. But, you know, those people that did attach to that character in the first volume will see her and go, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> we, we can use that to sort of build off of, of that into bigger stuff. So, um, yeah, I I hadn't planned really to, to do anything significant with her, but... Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad we did end up uh, coming back to that. As a follow-up to that, if you were to have a nerdy tattoo, what would you get done and why? Ugh. I don't have any tattoos. Um, and it's not like I have any sort of bias against tattoos. I've, I've frequently thought about it, but I, I've, I've, this is the problem is I rarely... And think of something that I'm like, yeah, I would get that tattooed on me. <laughs> like, there's no way I wouldn't regret that. Um, but 
one thing that I have thought about is uh, actually as as we come up to the tenth volume of Princeless, which will be sort of the end of the story that we've been telling. I'm thinking I've been thinking about getting some sort of uh, Princeless related tattoo, um, sort of commemorate that because it's been that's been a long journey for me. (laughs) That's amazing. That's so sweet. Yeah, so I just have to, I have to guilt Emily or, or somebody else into uh, designing a tattoo for me. <laughs> we know I, nothing about I that. Have, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I may have slightly bullied Jess into I designing a tattoo I have, what, one more? I have, like, two more to do? At least, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they bullied I me. I only asked for one more. <laughs> I, if you'd like, I also, you know, can be bullied into to tattoo work. Uh, <laughs> Well, Jess, if we weren't bullying you, if you were going to get your own nerdy tattoo without us forcing you. So this I have thought of long and hard because uh, my nerdy tattoo would be on from my from the graphic design side. And uh, I want the pen tool icon. It's pretty much like a graphic designer's bread and butter, like you use it in Photoshop Illustrator. And it's you you need to know how to use a pen tool to be able to be a graphic designer. So I always just wanted a little pen tool. Just a little icon. And it's pretty like anybody that's a designer, you know, or anybody that's used those programs, you know, right away. Like, oh, that's the pen tool. Actually, my logo for my graphic design business, if you're another designer, you'll catch on. It's actually a pen tool. (laughs) The top of the crest that the dragon's (laughs) in is is a pen tool. Um, Yeah. So that that would be my that's like my nerdy, like, get down into my job (laughs) tattoo that I want. (laughs) Does that count? I think that's pretty nerdy. Yeah, that counts. That totally yeah. counts. What about you, Bronwyn? Well, I it's a little late. <laughs> I already have several. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the ones you've already got with with your great big huge Doctor Who tattoo. And yeah, I've, I have two tattoos in Gallifreyan. Um, I have a dragon. Um, my tattoo that I got with my best friend is... Uh, punctuation mark because we're word nerds um, <laughs> <laughs> um i also have a penrose triangle um which is a, an impossible shape in three-dimensional space uh the negative space of that tattoo is actually the sh- form of delta for representing change um but on top of that for nerdy tattoos um yeah, I have a few. I have a few in mind. <laughs> um, I, I test water for a living, so I have a water design a symbol of, for for water that I that I really want to get done. Because um, I, I think it's important. I think it's important work. I think it's in, it. It's just uh, it's an important thing, and it means a lot to me. So um, mm. that probably is is up there. Is, it, actually one of my least nerdy tattoos but because of what it actually means to me i think it counts um and uh yeah i have a tattoo planned with that's actually um a book with a lot of ideas coming out of it so i'm working on a design for that right now um because i'm such an avid reader um so that is another nerdy tattoo that i'm planning um yeah, I have a few in the works. <laughs> I think I only get nerdy <laughs> tattoos, really. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that one. I'm going to agree yeah, with you on that one. Yeah, since I have 11 I have, already, I feel like that's probably, I have 11 at the end now, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited because Dan's sister started dating a really decent tattoo artist. And he's already, I'm like, dude, like, hi, nice to meet you. My name is Jessica and I have plans for you. Like, I'm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's actually a super nice guy. He's actually drawing me one right now, and it's awesome. a cameo. Um, but it's a you know how they do the cameos with the skeletons, but it's going to be a dachshund mm. skeleton. Oh! So apparently he's drawing it. He, I'm waiting to see the the picture. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> also, that also fairly so nerdy. Like well. I need all the dachshunds. I need it. I on love me. it so much. <laughs> Halloween dachshunds. Oh my god! I have. <laughs> I also recently got that's, a tattoo with Steve, so cute. that was kind of cute. Yeah, you two are yeah. adorable. <laughs> with with your matching tattoos. Yeah. So. I actually want two. One is slightly inspired by Wasp, actually. I really want the chemical symbol for caffeine. Yes. Um, because I like caffeine. I don't know if anyone's aware of that. Um, Shocked. Shocked. I, I actually... No <laughs> I actually mm-hmm. bought matching T-shirts um, for Jess and Bronwyn and myself with the caffeine chemical symbol on them. <laughs> and the guy I bought them from messed up and only sent me the ones for Jess and for Bronwyn. And then he didn't have any left. It was a limited run of a T-shirt. So I've ended up with one that's got the chemical symbol for cocaine <laughs> on it instead. Not quite the same. Not not what I was after, <laughs> but I was like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just have to get it as a tattoo instead. Clearly, um, but the one that Jess um, is being bullied into working on for me. <laughs> Love you, Jess. One more. Um, one more. Um, I want a big one on my ankle of um, a willow tree, but with the leaves hanging down having quotes in them so quotes from like books movies there's going to be a hamilton one thrown in there there's going to be some comic stuff in there um basically because if i had all of the quotes that have meaning to me tattooed on me i would look like one of those simpsons chalkboards Mm. um so i thought squidge them all squidge them all into a different design and it will be some tattoo artist is gonna hate Um, you I've actually already explained it to yeah. my tattoo artist and he loves the idea because of how much it's going to hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot my one new tattoo that I'm planning. Uh, the, well, well, one, 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 no, one more. Sorry. <laughs> um, I actually have a design for the sword in Princess Bride, like Inigo Montoya's sword. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah I, I want to get it like tattooed that. probably on my, um, along my, the bone in my forearm. Very nice. Nice. Important question is right arm or left arm? (laughs) (laughs) On my right arm because I am not left handed. (laughs) (laughs) But I am Team Montoya. Brilliant. (laughs) In all things, Nico Montoya, Renee Montoya. All things. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Pulling it back to Wasp a little bit, in issue four when we see nadia fighting back um there's a description of krav maga a do you have any experience of krav maga and b was one of the aims of the book to teach girls that it's okay or even right to stand up for themselves uh so no i don't have any personal experience with krav maga um i don't really haven't done any sort of martial arts since i was a kid 
and that was all judo. Um, but Krav Maga, um, I had done some research on for a, another book I was writing that hasn't ever quite seen the light of day. Um, but I was writing a character who was a, a female uh, spy and assassin and, um, or, you know, a secret organization. And I was like, well, you know, she's part of the thing is that she is small. She's like five, two. Um, and I was like, what, what is a possible, like, what would be the thing that she would be trained in that she would know how to do? And, uh, I, I came to the conclusion from, you know, sort of looking at the Israeli military and what they train, you know, women in is, is that Krav Maga is a thing that's, um, it's designed to be done by anybody at any size and is, you know, frequently what they, they teach women in the Israeli army. Um, but specifically, it's also a very mean martial art. It's not like a clean, <laughs> competitive like martial art that that you would you know see at a, a tournament like in you know Karate Kid. It's like a lot of the stuff in Krav Maga is like um, specifically designed to like maim and injure and like get away from people. Incapacitate. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so it's, you know, a lot of, like, eye-gouging and, uh, you know, destroying <laughs> people's knees and things like that because, you know, it's, it's designed to be used on somebody who's, you know, two to three times your size. Um, so it, it seemed like a, a natural choice to to translate that over to Nadia as, like, what she would be trained in, what she would use, um, you know, if she were actually sort of backed into a corner and, and fighting one to two people twice her size. Um or more, um, because I, I picture Nadia as being about that height, about five two or five three, mm. um, and in both both of the grapplers in that story are, are over six feet tall. They're female, but they're large and <laughs> um, muscular. So I felt like that made sense. And um, as far as it, the the second question about it being about like fighting back, um, it is definitely something that. I think is important to to express um, in stories. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it made an interesting comparison to show like, you know, these are sort of the two things Nadia is trained in is, is science and um, uh, killing people, um, <laughs> and that you know she goes about both of these things in a very similar sort of clinical way of like. You know, uh, this this is how she is trained to be an assassin. Like it is, it is this simple. There are certain things you can do that will, you know, stop and and disable a person. Um, you know, and that's the same. She she handles that the same way that she handles science. Um, so that was that was sort of my my goal with with that, um, and, and to sort of make sure that it was, it was clear that Nadia was, uh, you know, also physically dangerous, <laughs> like that she wasn't, um, yeah, she was, she was nice and kind and continues to be those things, but, uh, is also not somebody to be trifled with. Well, I can firmly say that if anyone ever gets the chance to try Krav Maga, um, it is incredibly fun. <laughs> it's very, very difficult, but it is very, very fun to learn. Um, so if anyone out there is looking for any ideas on self-defense, give it a crack. It's amusing. <laughs> um, please don't sue me if you get injured. <laughs> <laughs>
Or if somebody um, else gets injured while you practice. Yeah, right. <laughs> or if, probably that one, actually. Yes. Um, so kind of sticking with Nadia's training and um, the Red Room, the character of Mother Ugh. is absolutely oh, terrifying. Oh, yeah. That like, first creepy. reveal <laughs> that we get of Mother is genuinely still to this day haunts my nightmares um what kind of inspired you to use the dichotomy of the name mother and then her character both in manner and appearance so my my idea for her as a design when we first started was that she is the same person who's been running this program since you know the cold war or earlier that like you know she has been around this long and that she is um uh <laughs> she's a result of like cold war cybernetic technology like she's had you know bits and pieces of her replaced over time um you know and, and at this point she's she's basically you know uh uh russian spy darth vader <laughs> she's she's more machine <laughs> than man um, but that you know many of those pieces you know date back to the eighties at this point. so, you know, she's got lots of sort of exposed, uh, elements to her. Um, and that she's just genuinely terrifying, um, because the Red Room doesn't care. Like they, they don't want to nurture these children into being like, you know, feeling like this, this person really loves and cares about them. Like she's, she's there to make them murderers. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's no question about that. So, um, yeah, the idea of her just being uh, terrifying and, and, you know, this sort of piecemeal cyborg, um, you know, at, at this point is like most of the Red Room, thanks to you know, Black Widow and the Black Widow series is, is gone. So she doesn't really have like oversight. There's nobody checking up on her. Um, <laughs> you know, so this is just uh, the result of of being a, a piecemeal cyborg who's lived, you know, underground with girls being trained to be assassins for all this time. Yeah. I, 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 the idea I had was horrifying. The it's still like when I got that first image from Elsa with her, I was like, Oh, that's genuinely terrifying. Like, <laughs> that's horrifying. Yeah, my like, notes actually say straight up horror yeah. show. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, that's, that's horrible. Like, she's, she's discussed several times, but like, you don't, I feel like you don't even realize you haven't seen her until that moment that like, you know, you haven't just been shown a generic spy character. Um, that like she's been um you know she's been doing creepy stuff and in the background the whole time and that's the first sort of point where you really get to see her and she's genuinely uh scary um but i i liked the idea of her being of her her being so frightening that like when she when she pulls that what I what I think is the scariest thing she does when she pulls that trick where she calls them on Matt Murdock's phone, like yeah, you know, yeah, you're when like, he's oh, I was like, I was like, that's creepy. <laughs> like <laughs> she she called through the phone of somebody who like just showed up, like that she doesn't know, uh, who you know presumably uh, is is a superhero and has and a lawyer and has some sort of like you know some amount of protection there knows knows what he's doing so like 
yeah, the fact that like she just, uh, you know, calls them on his phone like it's no big deal, and then manages to like remotely turn their phones on is is terrifying. She she is one of the creepiest characters I've come across in comics. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Yeah, she is nightmare she fuel. Disturb me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thanks for that. <laughs> I'm hoping we get a chance to for her to have like an an earnest comeback at some point because like you know she shows up on you know on a VHS tape having been somewhat repaired in you know volume two um taunting <laughs> taunting mockingbird and winter soldier in probably the second creepiest uh piece of the <laughs> piece of that story uh, <laughs> with the uh weird weird killer robots with yeah. <laughs> with, with little girl yeah. faces <laughs> I kind of want to know more about them too. I was like, "Oh, this is even more." And I think you say that like doesn't <laughs> doesn't she say like this is this is a nightmare? Like these yeah. this is giving me nightmares. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's such a like awful thing of like you know them them thinking they've crept through this room full of sleeping girls, and it turns out they're you know actually these <laughs> killer robots that were built by the girls that they're looking for. Um, you know, and them being uh, those those little robots trying to kill them. Yeah, and I think they there's a discussion had between uh, Bobby and, and uh, Bucky about not having kids. <laughs> <laughs> Never having kids. It's a fair point, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes it does kind of make you wonder about the people that write these things. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> just saying. I'm not you know. saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this uh, the second volume in particular, I think, is uh, filled with uh, true, truly scary teenage girls. <laughs> yeah. Yes, teenage girls are pretty teenage scary. Girls yeah. Are terrifying, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, girls are terrifying to start. Like, and confirm. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, between the between the evil robots and. Uh, the group of, of girls from AIM who are all uh, pretty frightening in their own way, especially Fantoma, uh, 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 the oh, yes. one who can yeah. make themselves look like anything else. Yeah, that was a fun character. When she has the green neon face, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, was terrifying. <laughs> I had this, like, that is the longest series of like trying to explain a really weird horrifying concept to somebody is like I had I think I had just not long before that watched all the purge movies and like one of the characters is wearing like a a mask that they have like a lit up Uncle Sam face on and I was like okay but like this character can look like anybody but when they're not trying to look like anybody when they're just being horrible like they just do like weird emoji faces on their own. <laughs> <laughs> should just be truly unsettling. Nailed it. Well, I think you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very was, much so. It was. It's a very weird combination of me like going through a translator because you know it's all this stuff to to here goes through a translator to go from English to Japanese anyway, and like oh. me and the translator going back and forth and being like, look. This is not a thing that's existed previously, and I have no reference to show you. But here's kind of what I'm thinking, and being like, "All right, 
this is what I've got. Is this is this what I should tell them? And it's like, well, kind of like that, but you know, like this. And we went through a few different designs and ended up with like, like the idea is the, you know, because that metal armor is all these like shifting plates that can move around to physically be, uh, you know, the size and shape of, of whoever they're trying to be like, while also projecting the image onto the outside. So it's, it's a lot of like trying to, to get that just right. But I, I think it, it managed to be the the right amount of creepy. <laughs> yeah. Assuming that the amount of creepy you were going for was very... It was all then, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much yeah. creepy. Yeah, definitely got the right amount of creepy there. <laughs> um, you mentioned um, Matt Murdock just now, and there's there's a scene with him early on which cracks me up partly because at one point he's sitting at the desk opposite nadia and he's looking at files <laughs> and i just i mean i assume they're braille <laughs> no but he's he's looking at yeah. them he's holding the file in front <laughs> of him true. <laughs> and it and it just made me laugh because i was like is he doing this for nadia's sake <laughs> but that that wasn't that wasn't the bit I was going to reference. The bit I was going to reference is the fact that there's um there's a point where he is standing and the shadow on the floor is the shadow of the Daredevil costume. Mm-hmm. Um now that as soon as I saw that I was like, Oh ho, ho, I see what they've done there. <laughs> do you do you get that kind of thrill seeing art for books that you've written that lay people like us do from reading them? Is it is it exciting for you to get the art through? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, like I, you know, there are obviously points where I get art and I'm like, oh, it's not quite what I was after. It's not quite what I imagined. Um, but there are definitely points like that where like the artist has has sort of enhanced my idea of, of what the thing is, or it comes out looking perfect. Um, you know that and like that that scene in particular is is really good for that. The entire I mean, pretty much all of, of issue five of the second run where, where Nadia is in her little crystal castle with, with Priya, like everything in there is so beautiful. Um, and so, so beautiful and so profoundly sad that like, mm. I, I got that art. And every time I got a new page, I was just like, like it gets sent for me for approval. And it's just like, Huh. yeah like obviously this is very good like I, I don't even know what to say about it like it's yes very good more like this please when I'm done crying I'll send you more notes <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> oh my god please tell me you give that as feedback when I'm done crying I will send you more notes <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly certain I have sent that before um. that is amazing <laughs> oh god so that that actually brings me quite nicely onto a question that we have from a listener obviously that point is where we see nadia having her breakdown and we find out that she is bipolar um we had a question through from a listener called robin robin fines on twitter who said, how did you learn about how people with bipolar behave or think? From my experience, you nailed it with the utmost respect and compassion, and I appreciate it immensely, um, which I thought was a lovely, lovely comment. So thank you for sending that in, Robin. But yeah, how, how do you or how did you approach 
the issue of Nadia being bipolar and being able to write that in a sensitive way? Uh, it was it was something that I knew was going to be important to get right. Like I knew had been handled with very mixed effect with, you know, Hank over the years. Um, and I, I felt like we had a chance to do something like very good and important here. And I didn't want to screw it up. Um, <laughs> because it, it started with like this idea of, of her discovering that she, she had bipolar disorder because, you know, Hank is on record as, you know, having self-diagnosed himself with, with bipolar disorder. And that is, something that frequently runs in families. Um, hmm. And so like that was sort of the the beginning of, of the idea of doing it. And, um, you know, we, we planted some of the stuff early on in it. Um, and I ended up doing a lot of like just sort of uh, basic research early on of, of, you know, what, what it should look like, what the symptoms are, what, um, you know, people's experiences are from, you know, a publicly available standpoint and um, pretty early in the writing phase, I started uh, recruiting people to be sort of, you know, test readers for it because I wanted specifically to talk to people who were, um, you know, actually trained in this stuff, who were you know, practicing um, psychologists or uh, professors who, you know, knew a lot about this and, and could say for, you know, a fact that it was, um, you know, medically and scientifically correct. And in a book that's so heavy on science, it seems like mm. it would be pretty bad to actually get the, the sciences used in the book wrong. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in addition to that, I wanted to talk to people who, who had experience both um, having dealt with it themselves, having um, you know, been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, having had manic episodes, um, but also with, um, you know, people who had experienced it sort of secondhand who, um, you know, were, were caretakers or family members who had, you know, dealt with their own people that they cared about going through this because I, I wanted to make sure that um, Nadia's reactions weren't just factually correct, but that they felt correct, that everything felt right. But that also we had sort of, um, I, I think that the biggest problem with some of these stories is sometimes people want all of their characters to be perfect and nice and to understand when people have problems. And, um, I don't think that's a real, uh, realistic expectation of real people. Um, especially, you know, when, uh, as in like the case of, of Taina at this point that, you know, this, this person has done something, uh, pretty awful to them. Um, you know, that, they shouldn't necessarily be immediately forgiven for, even if it was you know, done under, uh, under duress. Um, yeah. so like I, I wanted to make sure that all of the, the reactions that people were having around her were sort of realistic and, and fair, both to, you know, people who, who had been in that situation and to the characters themselves. So like I, <laughs> a lot of different people read it and I had, you know, a, a few different suggestions as I was going along and I, uh, and to and change some things here and there to, to get it right. And, uh, a couple of more things to get it, uh, past, um, you know, folks who, who, uh, are concerned about, uh, you know, the, the, the legalities of, um, 
this kind of stuff. Um, mm. You know, because uh, there's a lot of like, it was one of those, it was, I think it's the first time that I've ever had an issue that uh, I know for a fact was, was spread over by standards and practices <laughs> for, for Disney. Wow. So, um, wow. Yeah. 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 Cause they, you know, they wanted to very much make sure that everything was uh, right and giving the right sort of message. Um, and I, the only real notes they, they had were um, that, you know, they, they wanted any reference to, to suicide to be sort of indirect. Um, you know, there was a lot of concern about actually putting the word suicide in the book um, or implying that uh, Nadia might be considering or idealizing suicide at any point. Um, so that was like, that was the only real big feedback from, from that side of things. But, you know, it's easily the most like read before publication uh, issue of a, of a comic I've ever done. <laughs> well, I can I just say that the uh, conversation that um, Priya and Nadia had in the mini lab where mm -hmm. Priya was talking about, you know, her experience with her brother and just about how much of an impact Nadia removing herself from say the bigger life <laughs> you know would have that hit me really hard because that is like I, I lost a lot of friends to suicide when I was a teenager and that was um that was really hard and it was you know it was people who I you know had varying degrees of closeness to and even the people that I wasn't necessarily that close to it was a huge impact on me just because they, there are unforeseen connections, you know, when somebody is ill and they, their brain has betrayed them <laughs> effectively and is telling them that, that everyone will be better off without them and, and the world will be better off without them. They're not able to see all of those connections, right? They're not able to see how much, um, the world will be lessened by losing them and mm. having somebody come in and so articulately express that, that was impressive. Cause then I know when I was a teenager being able to articulately express how in incredible those losses impacted me, how, how significantly those losses impacted me. Um, yeah, it was certainly something I was not that capable of until many years later. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a that was a that was a, a an important read and a beautiful read, but that was a hard read. I'm not going to lie, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I fully understand. This is, I think, easily. I was talking about how how much it has been had been read before coming out. It's definitely like a thing I toiled over a lot and you know was um I, I was talking about it at one point with somebody that like it's a scene that like I knew I wanted to do right up until I got to it and then I I wrote it and I was like all right I did it and then like I went to bed that night and I remember the next day waking up and being like what have I done like <laughs> what did I do like this is so so big and so heavy and so rough like I 
if I screw this up, it's going to be very bad. Um, and like coming back to it several times and just sort of chiseling at it and gluing pieces back on and, you know, trying to figure out exactly what the, the right configuration was for it. Because like, you know, the, the particulars of naughty circumstances are important, but also like how much we're touching on, things that affect a lot of different people dealing with a lot of different mental health issues, especially at that age, um, was was definitely not lost on me. And, um, Mm. you know, it was, I've, I've never been so glad to have planted a seed that I didn't know I was going to get to deliver on as like getting to have Priya in that scene, you know, being able to be the, um, the voice that a, a lot of people in that situation don't have um, mm-hmm. to say like no like people aren't going to be better off without you no this isn't how it's going to be like no it seems it seems bad it seems dark you know it, it seems like this is the way to go but like that's that's your brain playing tricks on you like you've uh, you know, there's um, there's a lot more to it that you know you're not seeing. Um, it's it, it was so like great and important to have that character there and to be able to you know have have somebody speak from that place of like you know I, I know there are so many of us who have um, lost people or, or had people deal with you know. Um, attempting things or, or um, having to come back from that kind of stuff. And just the number of people I, I know that I've dealt with some form of anxiety or depression um, is, is huge. And, you know, hopefully that book will be in the right place at the right time for somebody to, you know, be able to, to see either themselves or somebody they care about in that character and, and, you know, be able to offer some some sort of help, even if it's just just having you know the suicide hotline or prevention hotline number on the the uh, back page there, like you know that there's something. Hopefully, that'll can make a difference. Yeah, I think it definitely does make a difference, even if it's just in prompting conversations like this one, and prompting conversations for people who read the book. Because something that I do champion quite a lot is talking about mental health issues and being open about them. Because I think it's one of those things that as a society, we've historically been told you shouldn't talk about things like this because, you know, there's there's something wrong with it. And I think we're getting to a point now as as a society where actually... People are realising that, yes, we should talk about mental health problems as much as we talk about physical health problems, because, you know, it is just the chemicals in your brain doing something wrong. It's it's not something to be embarrassed about or, or you know, or, or that you shouldn't be able to talk about. Um, and as anyone who listens to this show or who listens to Talking Comics knows, I will repeatedly talk about the fact that I take medication for anxiety and that I suffer from panic attacks. And books like this give me a way to be able to talk about that and say, you know, to to open up those conversations. 
So I think from that perspective, you don't, you know, you, you can, you can be assured that yes, the book does help because it does inspire those conversations to happen. Um, and I know from personal experience when we've talked about Wasp before, both on this show and on the main talking comic show, I've then had people reach out to me via social media and talk about things and, you know, open up and say, thank you for being open about this and thank you for talking about this because I thought I was the only one. And I think it's important for people to realise that they're not the only one. Um, yeah. And lots, lots of us, lots of us have issues with our mental health. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, fr from that perspective, I will quite happily hold my hand up and say, yes, the fact that you are writing about things like this in your book does help. Um, and you don't even need to have that as a consideration of does it because it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I try to keep in mind with uh, Nadia and, and anytime I'm, writing superhero stuff that like I've, as, as a dad, I've had to have conversations with, uh, you know, my, my year old, especially about like the idea of, of being a hero and being brave and that like, you know, being a hero doesn't you know necessarily mean being super strong or, um, you know, not being afraid of anything, but like having the, the strength to base up to the thing you're afraid of and to, you know, keep going when things are, are difficult. And, uh, you know, I think that's, I think that is historically a thing that has been a, you know, a centerpiece of a lot of characters, especially like Marvel characters that like really draws me to Marvel stuff. And, and that I want to make sure to like, get across in, in my stories that like, you know, Nadia is, she is cheerful. She is excitable. She is very intelligent. She does know how to fight, but like the, the thing that makes her a hero is sort of this determination to, uh, you know, not be beaten, be it by the red room or by, you know, her, her own you know, bipolar disorder to be able to face this thing. And, you know, even more importantly, I think, because this was, this was a question I had a lot, like, going into this story, both for myself and from other people, was, like, how do we tell this story and make it, make the conclusion of it different than what Hanks has been historically? Like, you know, Ant-Man is pretty, pretty well known as, as a hero, but as somebody who um, has not been able to, to figure this out despite his own intelligence. And like, I, I think the answer to that is, is the, the, the big heroic thing that Nadia does at the end of this story is talk about it and seek help. You know, Absolutely. Um, she is, she is able to, you know, tell Janet at the end that she's, she's not okay. And, and you know, that's, I think that can be the most, heroic thing that you can do is be able to like, admit that you're not okay and that you need help. Mm. Yeah, that takes yeah, a huge amount of strength. Certainly. And, and that, for me, is one of the things that makes Unstoppable Wasp such an important book, is that you weren't afraid from these things. 
when you were writing it and you weren't afraid to um to to talk about things like like mental health and sexuality and and almost even sort of like politics got got references in there did you ever get any um any pushback from marvel or the editorial team for putting things like that in i mean obviously you said it had to go through um through quite some quite a lot of scrutiny but was there ever any point at which anybody ever turned around and said maybe don't do that or (laughs) make it less was that was that a thing um I think the closest um, we ever got to that with, with Stefan Wasp was like, there were some things that we discussed that um, generally, like we came to the conclusion of like, if it's something we're not going to be able to devote the time and space to doing right, then, you know, maybe it's something we don't need to, to, it's not something we want to throw in haphazardly, like, you know, at some point in the story, mm. um, that, you know, if, if we're going to take on a big issue, then we need to be able to, to devote the amount of, you know, time and attention and space to it that it deserves, um, you know, and not just uh, make it sort of a seeming an afterthought in there. Um, mm. Now, which that, I mean, that ended up coming up to some extent towards, you know, the end of the book, because, you know, I've, having introduced all these, um, characters, not just in girl, but in, um, you know, the, the aim girls that end up joining girl at the end, like there's more stuff I wanted to explore with some of those characters and more things I wanted to talk about. Um, but that we just, just didn't have the room to, uh, to service those characters in a meaningful manner. And we had so many things that we needed to tie up anyway. Mm. I mean, the fact that you did manage to fit so much in, to the issues that you got i think is is incredibly impressive because you you cover a huge amount of ground in the two arcs that that you did get um one of the things i was going to ask with regards to kind of the writing process and all of the things that you do fit in with all of the science do you have particular science facts or areas of science that you want to include and then work that into the plot or do you write the plot and then just add the science in afterwards how does that work because there is a lot of science in this book yeah um i honestly if i'm completely honest it's a little bit of both um (laughs) like there are definitely yeah there are definitely things that like i come in wanting to touch on or, or things that are like somewhat important to the plot and then there are occasionally places where I'm like, this might be if this is like a scene I need to have here, but there's not like a whole bunch that's going on. So this may be a, a good time to, you know, drop in my science facts, like, you know, all of our stuff about caffeine um, and, you know, that one issue. And then all of the stuff in, mm. in the first volume about uh, the amount of electricity that's used by Times Square. Um <laughs> It was a thing that, like, I had this scene in Times Square, and I didn't have any good, like, science fact stuff in that issue yet. And I was like, it's an interesting thing, because it was a thing that I had thought about when I was in Times Square. And I was like, you know, taking this from Nadia's perspective, um, you know, as as somebody who is always curious about science stuff, like, it would be interesting to look into this and and figure out exactly what the the statistics are there. 
and luckily like New York had a lot of like that stuff uh, on record. So it was, it was easy for me to kind of look up and play around with. It was crazy amount of electricity. Holy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's crazy. Cause what I discovered is like, um, and I think a lot of people have discovered this since then when uh, the power went out, but uh, Times Square is, is on the same, um, the, the same circuit as basically all of like the theater district. So like all of that stuff is, is all measured together as far as like how much electricity it uses. Um, and yeah, like when, when it goes out, all of Times Square and all of the theater district go out. Oh no. <laughs> and they had a big outage earlier this year where, you know, not only did everything in Times Square go down, but all the people who were in the middle of doing plays had to, I'll uh, leave theater. <laughs> there was yes. No sound and no electricity, no lights. So. Yeah. But there was then lots of interesting social media footage yes. of casts of plays outside hosting singalongs, <laughs> which looked quite amazing. Well, to be honest, New York's crazy um, to begin with. So. Right? Oh, my God. Well, yes. <laughs> Just cra- crazier. Crazier for New York. Um, Sticking with science for a minute, there's a question that I have to ask, and I'm asking it on Broman's yes. behalf, even though I wrote the question. In issue six in the first arc, why does the walk-in fridge have uncovered petri dishes of vision skin? <laughs> the cross-contamination potential is huge. You would never be what able to use kind any of, of that. Scientists did that. Um <laughs> <laughs> My nerdy little heart died a little. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my answer is that Hank is not always the most responsible scientist. Yeah, well, that um, is true. <laughs> <laughs> is is prone to distraction. So, uh, you know, he he, he uh, left some of that. My my we were we talked about this a bit as we were going on. Is like, uh, why would this be here? Uh, and my, my theory is like, oh, you know, this is from back in the day when, you know, uh, Hank, Hank and Vision were on the Avengers together and they were fairly close to each other. And like, you know, it's somewhere, it's a lab that they could make this stuff in. It It is not frequently used as such anymore. You know, Vision is perfectly capable of making his own skin. <laughs> this is all, this is all old supply. <laughs> it's just Hank being a bit terrible. So it's all uncovered skin. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just making it worse now. Absolutely making it worse. I'd put money on the fact that there's no biosecurity protocols in place. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel like it's on record that Hank is. Uh, pretty bad at like the actual <laughs> nuance of science because um, in, in particular like there's one of the first uh one of the first times you that hank uses his like growing ability there's a very like there's a panel of like him growing out of the inside of his house like <laughs> sticking out into the street and everything and um i i I definitely referenced at some point that, like, apparently none of 
the neighbor's light tank. Um, yes. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I could just imagine One. the amount of late night explosions that have come from that house. And the smell would not be good, I guarantee it, especially if all of the skin samples were bad, which they would be because they were uncovered. <laughs> well, now most of them are bad. She just throw them away. Yep. And you don't just throw those in garbage. Let me tell you, that is biohazardous material. <laughs> just that whole section bothered me. Biohazardous material in Hank's house. <laughs> she was like laying the piece. Those of your waist responsibly. Okay. When they were making the hands, it was just rough. I was just like looking at Mike. Oh God, I can't handle this. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me like twitchy when people put batteries in the garbage and here they are throwing old vision skin in the garbage i'm like oh my god okay okay i can't nope i can't turn the page <laughs> can i just say please don't put batteries in your rubbish or right? recycling bins it causes fires oh my goodness please don't do that <laughs> hazardous waste collect it bring it to a responsible depot please please <laughs> I work in waste and recycling. We have many fires because of people res- irresponsibly disposing of batteries. Don't make me nerd out about it. <laughs> Dispose of so them properly. Jerry isn't on here, so I can just say, that's just New Jersey. That's just how they do things there. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they dispose of hazardous waste in New Jersey. They dump it in the Hudson. <laughs> and that's how we got Swamp Thing. <laughs> America, do not make me come and sort out your waste and recycling. Oh my god, honestly. Um, we are going on. I'm sorry, I'm now. sorry. Um, in, in the first arc. Um, the final issue kind of gives all of the characters closure or redemption and obviously that also happens in in the second story arc at what point did you find out you would be running for a set number of issues in in either of the story arcs um so i think (laughs) i feel like it's pretty obvious in the first one that like I wrote the first six issues as a story, um, which was, was finished. And I, I had an intention of doing more stuff from there, but it was sort of kind of vaguely planned at that point. Um, mm. And at, at six, they cautioned me of like, all right, you know, we don't know how many issues you're going to get. So maybe hold off on writing more than six and we'll see where it goes. Um, mm. You know, at at one point, they... <laughs> at one point Tom Brevoort came to me and said hey uh, they're saying they want to wrap it up in six can you finish it in six and uh, I said we'd already talked about me like doing eight if it ends at six it's going to end at a very terrible place <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, it's going to literally end with you know Ying passing out bleeding from the nose like uh, that's not probably a good place to end this story um, mm. and like I don't want to just, you know, empty out the substance of the story to make it end in a satisfactory way. So, like, uh, he he went back to, you know, them and bought, got me two more issues. Um, at which point, I was like, "All right, we gotta we gotta wrap this up in two issues." And like, I knew I had already started writing seven at that point, and I knew I wanted to write that one from Janet's point of view. 
I wanted to bring Janet back into the story in a substantial way. And um, like writing, writing from her point of view is, is one of my favorite things in that series. Like uh, I, I just, I desperately want to write like a Janet Van Dyne ongoing series um, mm. because I, I love this sort of idea of her being, having been an Avenger who was sort of there from the beginning, who, um, you know, knows all these sort of ins and outs of, of the Avengers and all these things that you, you wouldn't necessarily think about. And the stupid little things like that, uh, like the Carol Danvers glows in the dark. Um, <laughs> 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 that like, uh, it was, it was a really interesting idea to me because she's so, intricately tied to not just the Avengers, but so much of the Marvel universe. Um, mm. that like once I started writing those first couple pages of that issue, I was like, Oh, I just want to write Janet forever. Um, but then that actually comes across quite well. Those are some <laughs> of the best at issues is the Janet perspective ones. You just, you really shine yeah. when you're writing her. Yeah. Thank you. Her perspective, to be honest, I, I can identify with her a lot. I'm like, Oh, I, I'm a person that really, I don't have kids. I kind of really never wanted to have kids, but yet I am with other people's children all the time. I don't mm-hmm. mind children. They're great. They're lovely, but I'm, I'm always with someone that some kid that's not mine, but you know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and they can attend like prominent and they can tell you like my, my Instagram, I went for a job interview and they were like, well, we, we went through your social media and we see that you have three lovely children. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, no, actually. So yeah, no, I always, I kind of liked her perspective and the way she, you know, was like, "Ah, you know, I didn't really plan this, but like, it's kind of fun. I kind of like this. It's it's okay. I kind of still don't want kids, but these ones are all right. You know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that she, you know, and from her perspective, like these actual kids that are pretty good kids, uh, much beat the like man children that she's been hanging out with and having to deal with for, <laughs> for decades at this point, the Clint Bartons of the world. <laughs> um, you know, it's, Clint, it's... Clint does get quite a bad rap in this book. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Clint does not come out well at any does point. Does he ever really come out well? Well, no. I mean, there no, was that is, that the is Kelly true. Thompson run of Hawkeye was, he was, oh. he, it was, I mean, he had pizza dog, like, he was he was pretty okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel no, like that's, that's some of the charm of Clint Barton is that like he is just such a such a mediocre dude. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that he but that he's pretty good with a bow and is kind of a like grew up as a carnival freak and like uh, has decided that he's going to be a superhero because you know he he has some ability. He's he's going to try and protect the people around him. You know that's. That's what makes him him Clint. Like <laughs> watching him fall downstairs is uh, makes him you know redeemable for some reason. <laughs> Endearing. Yeah, he's charmingly medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to say though, I will I will back up what um what Jess was saying about the way that you write Janet and her approach mm-hmm. to um to sort of being this unplanned mother. The issues with Janet meant a lot to me when I first read them as someone who had kind of taken on someone else's children and was unexpectedly a stepmother for me and for my stepdaughter those were very very important issues because 
they explained a lot about how we were both feeling about the situation and how difficult it can be to to take on someone else's children when you know that you're not their mother they know that you're not their mother um and i will quite happily throw money at you if you would write a janet ongoing mm-hmm. um who do i need to tell <laughs> Uh, give, me, give me some names at Marvel. Amber Vord is on Twitter at. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it in the show notes and everybody Did Twitter bomb this guy. Yeah, we can get real crazy. Our fans get real <laughs> We will find him at New York Comic Con. <laughs> yes. I'll be I the one would with the trench coat and the hat. British so. at him. <laughs> oh. I would love a Janet Van Dyne ongoing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do something with Janet. She's. She she continues to be one of my favorites. Um, you know, I, I I love Nadia and I, I love so many of the the characters in this book. A lot of whom I'm partially responsible for creating. But like getting, I, I enjoy writing Janet and Bobby going back and forth. Like the mm-hmm. sort of patter of these these characters who have been in sort of the midst of Avengers stuff for so long, but don't have these sort of high idealized versions of who they are the way that a Tony Stark or a Steve Rogers does um, is like, is, is great for me. I, I love um, just, just having the two of them talk or even, you know, the, the stuff with uh, Mockingbird and Bucky in the last couple issues is like, mm. it's fun. I just, you know, want to write uh, weird combinations of, uh, of old Avengers characters forever. <laughs> I will happily read weird combinations of old Avengers characters from. Mm-hmm. Gonna be honest, that would, that would, that would work for me. Now I'm quite aware of the fact that we have had you for a very, very long time at this point. <laughs> so I know I harp on about it every time, and I know that it's something that I've talked about several times on the main Talking Comics pod. But the issue where um, Ying and Shay go to meet Shay's mother and they have the conversation um, about their sexuality means so much to me as a reader um, and as somebody who has consistently wimped out of telling her parents um, and has now successfully hidden a tattoo of the bi pride flag for two and a half months. (laughs) from her parents despite being 36 years old and therefore technically a grown adult um but i just wanted to say thank you for for writing that issue and for writing those characters and for making it a way of being able to have that conversation i had a highly amusing conversation with bella about it um who being 15 was just like yep that's fine it's you know it 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 doesn't phase people of that age in my experience at all which i think is brilliant and the fact that she can read books like this with characters of different sexualities in them is absolutely great and i'm just waffling now but basically thank you you know what i'm saying (laughs) help me help me out here people i'm drowning in in no i think you're saying it perfectly sarah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think you did a great job. Yeah, uh, thank you. I I really appreciate that, and I'm I'm glad we were able to do it. It was um, one of those things that you know we were sort of building stuff into that first arc, 
you know, with with Ying and Shay and and their relationship sort of gradually building. And I that was one of those like things that when we finished, you know, the big story that was the first six issues and and the pretty uh, or I guess pretty heavy finish to issue five, I was like, all right, what are the what are the things that are on the table still that like I absolutely have to do because like mm. I also wanted to have Nadia sort of not out of the book, but off the field of being a superhero for a while. And like, um, you know, those, those two things ran concurrently in, in you know, what ended up being a, a great way for me is we're able to sort of, while we're exploring the fallout from, from Nadia's episode and, and what it's done to you know, her and Taina and, uh, it's, to some extent it's related to Priya stuff but that uh, has much more to do with her her powers and her getting knocked out um, you know having a chance to really explore you know this and um, Shay coming out and sort of the varied reactions to it because I think among her friends among the teenage characters in the book and you know to Janet as well it has sort of this like almost shrug reaction like oh that's great you yeah we knew you know yeah um <laughs> it's it's pretty obvious um and that you know there's there's such a different reaction from uh, from her mom um i think is is i think increasingly the case with you know people that age and uh, a little older and a little younger of like you know you have a whole part of your life that like People are absolutely cool with it, and you know, are, uh, you you don't even really have to come out and, to some people. Um, you know, they just they just know. Um, but you know, having this part of your your life and your family that doesn't understand that um, you know you're dreading talking to, and as much as I try to give those kind of stories like happy endings in in the comics I write. Um, you know, being able to to have a a character who is is absolutely not on the right side of this, um, and explore sort of you know what that that does to Shay and um, you know the, the reactions of of everyone else around her, and uh, really really gives Ying a moment to shine in that story too. Yes, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, is is really. Uh, fantastically sort of fun uh, bit there at the end. But like, yeah, I think, you know, not, not everybody has a, an ex assassin girlfriend to stand up to their mom for them. <laughs> Be better or I kill you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, but Shay's dad. Yeah, but, though. Oh, he was fabulous. Yeah. I loved yeah, every minute of him. He reminded me of my dad. Made me smile. Yeah, I saw that there's a there's a question in uh, in the list of questions about Shay's dad and what a dad he is. Um, <laughs> yep. his, he is definitely a dad. His dad jokes and is giving her a hard time, and uh, all that stuff that that's in the first <laughs> volume to like it being so obvious in in you know issue ten of the second volume that like he's 
you know, when the when the chips are down, he's there for her. You know, yeah. he's not not trying to force what he thinks she should be on her, but you know, grateful that she is happy and grateful that she, you know, has being this person who clearly cares about her in her life mm. is, you know, it's uh, it's what dads should be. Yeah. Mm. And he tells terrible jokes, so. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is perfect and amazing. <laughs> he was amazing. I loved him. Well, he is inspired by, you know, me. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. <laughs> You're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. I am. I have a whole army of awful jokes. Um, I finally, I finally got the, I finally got my daughter yesterday with the, she was, uh, she came in and told me, dad, I'm hungry. And, uh, of course I had to hit her with the hi hungry. I'm dad. Uh, Oh God. (laughs) That's the classic. Now I have to ask a question here. Do you have these jokes before you have children or does something just happen when you have children and you're and a man do the jokes like do you do you get a handbook or something like here's your baby here are the dad jokes is that is that what happens how how does it work because mm. every dad has the same dad jokes <coughs> all of them it's true well i mean yeah. some some kieran gillens just make people sweat through them on twitter um, <laughs> put, their, put their dad joke dad jokiness and their terrible puns out there on the internet so, I mean before the internet you just had to have a kid so that you could make them suffer through it but, but now now anybody can tell dad jokes it's true <laughs> <to> go on <laughs> Twitter <coughs> bless the dad jokes I'm just thinking yeah. of all my dad's horrible jokes now Me they're too. just running through to... my head and I'm just like yes. going through like oh my god and he said and it's always been the same ones too like it's not like he got new material as no. we grew up he would just tell the same ones over and over oh. I, I realized recently that uh, I got a lot of my bad jokes and puns from Animaniacs growing up <laughs> <laughs> so there's the um, handbook. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I, uh, I I met Rob Paulson a while back, who does the voices of, of Yakko and Pinky, and um, I was I was telling him I was like, yeah, I you know I have kids now, so I, I watch a lot of like cartoons, and I've gone back and tried to watch a lot of the old cartoons that I watched as a kid, and uh, unfortunately, I found that a lot of them suck. Um, and that uh, I was just blinded by being a kid at the time. But Animaniacs is one of the few that I've gone back and watched and not only been like, oh, this is actually good, but also like, oh, my God, this is where I got my sense of humor. <laughs> uh, and I I, uh, I specifically told him that uh, he was to blame for me. So, um, you know, that's, it's all his fault. Um, I like it. Yeah. So so we know who to thank. Her. <laughs> we're, not, we're not blaming. Yeah, we're thanking. I think Rob Paulson and the writers of Animaniacs. Um. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So obviously Marvel 1000 came out. Did it? And I didn't hear about it. And America Chavez <laughs> does not skip leg day. No. <laughs> 
So with with um, Marvel One Thousand, which just for some reason I really struggle to say Marvel One Thousand. Did you get a choice of creative team and what you worked on, or was it sort of names in a hat, or were you? Did they come to you and say, "Will you write this character?" How did that? How did that come about? Because there was a huge number of creative teams and a huge number of stories in that book. Yeah, I, I suspect it was different for different people. Obviously, Al Ewing had a lot of like um, his own input in there about uh, you know his his stuff because he has sort of the through line story in there. Um, for me, it was uh, Tom Brevoort came to me and said, "Hey, we're working on this giant project um, where everybody's going to be telling a one page story. Uh, we want to do an America Chavez story. I'd like for you to write that." you'd be able to pick whoever you wanted to draw it because it's just a one page story. So, you know, we can get just about anybody you want. Um, mm. And uh, so, you know, they, uh, I said, yeah, obviously, obviously I want to be part of this. Obviously I want to write an America Chavez story. Um, and yeah, I, I picked uh, Irene. She was my, my number one pick on that um, because even though like, it's not a particularly, action-packed story um i wanted america to have the same sort of uh physicality that cora does in the legend of cora graphic novels that she's done um yes. mm. look tough and muscular um without you know necessarily changing the model too much but you know being able to do things like draw her with thigh muscles um Yes. You know, which is, a, a, for some reason, a very difficult concept for some people to understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like a, a woman, but with muscles. Um, <laughs> what? I don't understand. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, and that was, uh, so basically, I wrote sort of my first draft of this and, and carved and whittled and carved and whittled and had a couple of, you know, people read over it until I was absolutely like felt perfect about the, you know, what was in it and, and what it said about the character and, um, you know, handled her, her history while adding a little bit to it. Um, and, uh, in a way that gelled with everything else that was already there. And, uh, I'm, I'm super happy with how it came out. I was very excited that like, when that, when the PDFs of that went out to, uh, you know, the writers and stuff at Marvel that, um, there's a work on it. Karen Gillan actually like sent me a DM that was like, Hey, did you add this thing about her, um, you know, being, being adopted by this, this woman in the community and everything? Cause I, I didn't know, I hadn't seen that in there before. And it was, you know, absolutely what Jamie and I intended. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I, did right, I did the right thing. Yay! Um, so yeah, that was super cool because like it's uh, you know trying to sort of feel around and, and get the character just right from you know what was definitely my favorite depiction of her in you know Young Avengers was uh, mm. like getting getting that perfect while making it something specifically about her and not just repeating what Jamie and Karen had already done uh, was like very important task to me and, and I'm glad it glad that came through. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's, I, that must be such an interesting feeling um, when you have this intent, but doing 
like writing or, or um, creating any kind of creative activity like that, um, the audience brings almost as much to the table as, as you do as the creator, right? So you can have as much intent as you want, and then sometimes that's not necessarily going to come through because it depends on what the audience themselves are bringing to the table as well, right? So when you when you have all of this intent and you're putting all of that in there, and then for it to come through so clearly and for people to really pick up what you're putting down, <laughs> that must be very satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with a, a story like that where I was like, we have such limited space, and you know, this is like hopefully a, a piece of Marvel history that will continue to live on and be read for quite some time. So, like having a chance to to carve out whatever niche of that it is for for America and for myself and Irene as well, um, <laughs> and be able to really really sweating the details of you know getting that right. So I'm, I'm glad it really. Uh, vibe with people who are fans of the character and I, I've seen a lot of people like in the week after that come out came out really like go into depth of you know why they like it how they feel about it so it, mm. that's been that's been really great along with the uh a lot of uh people who are, are fans of uh you know the characters in future foundation over the last few months who uh have not seen some of their favorite characters in uh, months, two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That their characters that haven't been around for for a long, long time. So, how did it come about that you? I mean, was it originally going to be the backup that you wrote, or was it always going to be we want you to do a backup, and then from that backup, it's going to lead into a story? Um, so we were actually uh, myself and. Uh, uh, Sarah Brunstad, who's the, the editor on that, have been sort of pitching what we wanted to do with Future Foundation for a while. Um, and, you know, Sarah approached me about it because with, you know, Fantastic Four coming back, they wanted to bring back some of the you know, peripheral Fantastic Four characters and books and stuff like that, um, just like they're doing, you know, the Invisible Woman mini right now. Um, mm. They wanted to, you know, try try out Future Foundation and, and see what they could do with it. Um but also at the time we didn't know exactly what uh, Dan Slott was planning on doing. Um, we just knew that he was, you know, sending off the future foundation kids basically at the, the end of that first story. Um, so it was a lot of sort of pitching and guessing and then having to readjust because, uh, you know, our, our first draft, we, we thought we were going to have Franklin and Val in there. So we, we made Franklin and Val pretty a, a central part of what we wanted to do. And then, we found out they were going to be in Fantastic Four, so we had to <laughs> sort of cut them out. And at one point, you know, we were talking back and forth over this, and like I ended up on a, a conference call with, you know, some of the the bigger guys at Marvel. That was like, hey, I know we want to do this book, but like, you know, I just found out that you know that the closest thing that Future Foundation has to two like big characters are not going to be in it. So you know, I as much as I love all these characters and want to write about all of them, like we got to figure out what the, what the hook is that's going to get people to read this book. Um, See, so, you know, Howard Pack hasn't had a, hasn't had an ongoing series in quite some time. I don't think that, you know, Julie and Alex have quite that kind of selling power. Um, and that, that kind of ended up with the conversation of, of who ended up being our, our villain for, you know, this first story in, in the maker and bringing in, you know, 
this uh, ultimate evil, well, this evil alternate Reed Richards is the bad guy in this story and a character that a lot of people you know, love as a bad guy, um, as well as, you know, bringing in some of the, the other characters and other pieces of story that have sort of gelled into this, this bigger thing. And uh, in the first couple issues and in the coming issues, we've still got some, still got several twists coming. Nice. <laughs> yeah. With, with things like the twists that you write in the books, because um, obviously you're quite active on social media and, and you do very well at kind of teasing what's coming up. How do you decide how much information to give out and like how much to kind of dangle in front of people and how much to keep close to your chest? Oh man, it's so, there must be quite a fine line to tread. It's so hard. Um, <laughs> uh, especially figuring out what like, what hooks and what reveals and stuff we're gonna talk about beforehand and what we're not and what we're going to hold on to. Um, I mean, even like as, as we're planning the series, like the stuff changed cause you know, the, I, I think um, like the end of, I guess, midway through issue two, we do the reveal for, Ricky, um, you know, that the Rebecca that we've been following around is actually Ricky Barnes, who's this, you know, alternate universe uh, Bucky from, you know, from Heroes Reborn, which is you know, some time ago uh, at this point. <laughs> um, you know, and a character who hasn't been around for a while. And when I first wrote the first issue, that was like the end of that first issue is, is revealing Ricky. And like there was a lot of conversation about whether that was a big enough reveal to like, be a hook for that end of that first issue. And they're like, well, we think the maker is a much bigger deal. So we want that to be the reveal at the end of the first issue. And then they ended up like putting him on the cover to issue two, which it was solicited two months before issue one ever came out. Uh-huh. It's like, well, so much for, yeah, you so much for that being a secret reveal guys. Um, <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time they were like, Oh, well we got to put him on the cover so we can, you know, make sure we sell copies. It's like, all right. Well, we've got a a lot of different forces at work here and but but like i've I've really just wanted to like i love ricky barnes's character and i've wanted to like shout from the rooftops that we were bringing her back in this story from like (laughs) especially since i saw like the character redesign that uh will did for her with the the new costume and everything um just is really cool um so yeah it's been i don't know it's an interesting process because you know i feel like when I'm writing Princeless or, or Raven, which are my own things, like I can, you know, sit on plot twists forever. Cause, uh, you know, our, our covers are very general and we don't, we don't have much of a publicity machine at all other than myself on those books. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's basically all of it is like three people on Twitter, like the day it comes out being like, Whoa, I can't believe you did this thing. Um, <laughs> <as compared laughs> to the, you know, the, the slow sort of churning out of information over the course of several months. Um, mm. Yeah, it's 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 exciting and fun to get to do, you know, big, weird twists like that. We've got it. We've got a couple more coming up in the next couple of issues. So I'm uh, I'm actually I'm excited for people to get to the end of uh, well, even to get to the beginning of issue three, because the beginning of issue three explains a lot of like how Ricky got to where she is in this story. And then the end of issue three has a whole other big twist that I'm, I'm excited about people checking out. Ooh. Very cool. 
Lots of twists in your big weird space. <laughs> I'm just going to keep using that uh, that gif of Detective Pikachu going very twisty and holding the you know <laughs> holding the magnifying glass in front of his face. It's it's my new favorite gif. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, you're going to be at New York Comic Con this year. I'm, yes. Yes. Awesome. Do you have any plans for what you'll be doing while you're there? If people want to come and see you or get things signed, do you have anything concrete in place yet? Or is it a case of wait and see? Uh, I do actually have a, a table at Artist Sally this year. Um, so I'm, I will be on the floor um, for most of the time, you know, in, in Artist Sally, which I believe is downstairs where it was last year. Um, you know, for people to, to come and get things signed anytime they like. Um, I will also at some point be doing a signing at the Marvel booth. Um, I know I have a panel on Friday. Um, no, Thursday or Friday. I'll have to look at it to be sure. Um, it's actually at the New York Public Library. That's about uh, mental health and comics, specifically talking about Ooh. WASP and everything. Um, wow, that's cool. So yeah, yeah, that one's... That one's exciting. It's another it's another panel like all of my uh, science and comics panels where I'm the guy who writes comics on it and everybody else has like a PhD. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always, always interesting for me to be like, let me speak with authority on this thing that you have multiple degrees in. <laughs> Next to you. Not intimidating at all. <laughs> yeah, like I've... Since, since doing Wasp, I've, I've made good friends with uh, Tamara Robertson, who like has put me on a bunch of like science and comics panels, and I'm like, oh, you're on multiple MythBusters shows and other shows on the Science Network. Like, you have all these degrees and just do just do all this science for fun. And me, I write comics, and sometimes they have science on them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? communication of science is so important because that's been a huge issue Um, because people who are trained in science we speak a different language you know and and precision and accuracy mean different things and and proof means something different and you know so the lack of consistent communication between the scientific community and the sort of rest of the world i guess for lack of a better for <laughs> lack of better terminology yeah it that has led to some of the issues that we have now with climate change deniers and god flat earthers and all of this because <laughs> they point to these discrepancies in communication that are really only a difference in definition as proof and i'm using giant air quotes that there are um you know are differences in the scientific community or that there are you know not uh, there's not a consensus on this or that there are you know um places where people disagree or you know and it's only because as a community scientists are are generally um a little bit hesitant to say yes this is true you know because we are taught to use the scientific method which is 
when it's used correctly, which it isn't always, I'm not going to lie, but when it is used correctly, is designed to take new data at all times, you know, and use that data to inform the model and to change it and to change the hypothesis and to change, you know, the outcome depending on how the new data impacts the the process, right? So when you say, yes, this is true, absolutely, you you could be wrong in three years, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so a lot of people in the scientific community don't like to go out on that limb. You say, well, given the data that we have right now and given the, you know, this particular model with it like 95% confidence interval, we can say this, you know? But to a layperson, that sounds like a lot of qualification, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that lack of ability to communicate directly to somebody to say, okay, for me and my community, no, this needs peer review and this needs repeatability and this needs blah, blah, blah. But to speak to somebody on Twitter, you say, you know what? Climate change is real. (laughs) (laughs) It is real. This is the thing that is currently happening. (laughs) No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you need to be... And that's why the comics writer needs to be on the panel. (laughs) Exactly. That is precisely why the comics writer needs to be on the panel. (laughs) It's it's interesting to me because my... um, Until recently, I had a regular, like, uh, full-time day job as well. Um, and my, my day job was as a technical writer for, uh, for a help desk. Um, and it, it was, it's such an interesting job that to me seemed like I wasn't doing anything. Um, <laughs> but like when, when I let other people like try to do part of my job, I was just like, wow, really? No, it's um, tough. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's like my job was to take, you know, uh, big PDFs full of uh, way too much information from, um, you know, engineers and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, other no. scientists and technicians <laughs> and, and uh, you know, even uh, guys who were programmers and, and go through all of this and be like, all right, if somebody calls in and they have this issue, I need somebody to be able to look this up and go, okay, what's step one, what's step two, what's step three, and then what do I do if that doesn't work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, so take, you know, this 40-page PDF and boil it down into, like, five bullet points. And uh, because, like, if, if somebody is at a help desk, they don't need to know every bit, every intricate part. It's like, all right, ask them this question. Try to do this thing. If this doesn't work, do this thing. If this doesn't work, do that thing. If it if none of those things work, it's a hardware problem and you need to send somebody out to fix it. You cannot continue to like spend time just exactly. uh, trying to figure out exactly what's wrong with their computer because it's not going to benefit anybody. Exactly. Um, so like, yeah, so that that's, I feel like that's a thing that comes naturally to me is like, all right, here's this complicated concept. Here's like what it means. Here's the, the bullet points of it. Um, your scientific translator. Think, <laughs> yeah, scientists scientists are specifically trained not to do that. Yes. <laughs> that is a true story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's it's always interesting being like a, a fiction writer that hangs around science people too because you hear about things and you're like oh, that's going to be in science fiction soon. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I very distinctly remember like my my wife, um, when she was in grad school, she worked uh, part time at the planetarium, and you know a lot of people that worked there were specifically science grad students or something like that. And we, we'd get invited to you know people's parties, and 
I remember very distinctly sitting on a couch hearing two like bioengineering people talk about CRISPR. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's going to be a thing. Like, <laughs> it's going to be a thing that people grapple onto. And it's going to be like all over science fiction in a couple of years. And sure enough, it was. Oh, yeah. There has been a lot of conversation on that um, on Twitter and in the last few weeks about people who do use actual science in their books um, and other people who just make stuff up. And um, Sean and Sean and Maguire is amazing for using actual science and making it fit into real world scenarios um, and not just going, I'm going to invent a thing and pretend that it could happen. Um, some of the things that she writes about are quite frightening because you go, "Ooh, real science the world's going to end. Um, oh, yeah. Her Mira Grant stuff is full on terrifying. Like I can barely get through it. <laughs> <laughs> I also made the mistake recently of rereading the Mad Adam trilogy from um, Margaret Atwood, mm-hmm. mm. and some of some of the things in that you just go, "Oh, they're doing that now! It's happening! Great! <laughs> the world's going to end. <laughs> it's all going to be terrible." Yeah, that's kind of the case with pretty much all Margaret Atwood books at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's terrifying. <laughs> It's impossible to read her stuff right now. I mean, whether it be Handmaid's Tale or, or whatever, and just not be like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is going to really happen. Everything's happening. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had to stop watching the TV adaptation of Handmaid's Tale because it was genuinely making me queasy. Yeah. I was like, this is just too close to reality for yeah. me. So somehow we've gone from Future Foundation to climate change denial <laughs> to Margaret Atwood. <laughs> I think that might even be a record for us. A future Foundation is the book where I do get to make up science stuff because <laughs> they're related to the Fantastic Four. And so sometimes they just have things like uh, been playing. I, I, I really love the idea and I feel like nobody's played with it enough of like unstable molecule costumes and like all the weird stuff you can do with that, like very weird non-scientific concept. <laughs> like we, we just like when we were talking about making the costumes for the future foundation we were like all right they're made of unstable molecules which doesn't mean that they all have to be like x-men costumes which are like super tight fits but that like they can program them to look like whatever they want so like you know bentley's got his like 90s superboy jacket in there because that's what he thinks the superhero looks like you know or, or what he thinks the cool superhero looks like that's awesome you say that almost as if bentley's not cool <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't tell him that <laughs> oh did i just let comics bigger secret out <laughs> dare you sorry sorry i'm sorry bentley is the obviously i i love bentley and uh, i love i love writing him in stories partially because he is such a little yeah (laughs) (laughs) and like the like the the first thing he starts doing in this story is you know first he's needling alex and then they they meet uh a scary murderous bird lady and he immediately falls in love with her and is ah. insisting that you know <laughs> she's going to be his girlfriend he has to figure out how to seduce her um, <laughs> so i feel like i i really enjoy 
writing Bentley. I, I really enjoyed, like, we did this thing in the first couple of issues where, like, when characters are doing stuff in the book, there's little, like, monologues from them about, you know, who they are and what they do. And uh, Bentley's was was fun because he's he's talking about doing science and he's talking about, you know, his his father, the person he's cloned from, the wizard being obsessed with being evil and Reed Richards being obsessed with being good. And like, he just thinks those things are boring. And he just, you know, I'm Bentley 23 and I'm on the side of awesome. <laughs> he is a very, very fun character to read. Yeah. Even, even if he is not <laughs> as cool as he thinks he is. <laughs> Bless his cotton socks. <laughs> just molecularly unstable socks, let's be honest. <laughs> I stopped. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, the conversational post mortem awesome. on this is amazing. <laughs> I have no idea where we're going, but I like it. Um, so, I know where we started. We started with Unstoppable Wasp, which um, is available now where all good comics are sold. And also at Evil Online Retail. <laughs> um, Future Foundation issue two is out at the moment. When does issue three come out? Um, yeah, see, I'm testing your knowledge now. Yeah, I, I don't remember so, the exact date, but it's it'll be the beginning of October. Um, it should be either it'll be right before or right after New York Comic Con. <laughs> we will uh, put the date in the show notes. All right. um, Obviously, Jeremy, you will be at New York Comic Con. Um, I believe Bob is going to arrange one of the traditional Talking Comics meetups. It'd be lovely to meet you there. Yeah. Um, I I will come and find you. That sounds slightly threatening. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll try to keep her controlled. <laughs> I will do that right now. It should be obnoxiously British at you. <laughs> All right. I, I look forward to it. And just yell oh, at I me wish while, I was joining you guys. holding a cup of tea. <laughs> the irony being, I'm the only British person in the world that dislikes tea. <laughs> I don't mind a herbal infusion. There you go. But I don't <laughs> like <infusion>. tea. <laughs> yes. Afternoon tea, on the other hand, I love afternoon tea. That's marvelous. Absolutely. But that just means eating um, now, right? That's what you're talking about. That's just a meal. That's basically. For you. It's basically. Tiny, tiny sandwiches and cake. Yes, <laughs> afternoon tea. Tiny sandwiches and cake. I'll make you afternoon tea when I'm over, Jess. It'll be fine. It will not involve actual tea, but may involve a herbal infusion. No. <laughs> yes, An herbal and infusion. Cake. <laughs> Herbally infuse you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, it is definitely time to wrap this up because we're just descending into anarchy. <laughs> fairly certain my role here is to keep things on the straight and narrow which i'm clearly not doing. <laughs> um one thing that we do like to do is to offer out some recommendations of um other reading material that people might like um i just put down a few suggestions if you like unstoppable wasp you will probably like ms marvel um unbeatable squirrel girl younger readers will probably like dc superhero girls um Everybody in the world should like Lumberjanes and Gotham Academy, but especially people who enjoy 
Unstoppable Wasp. I also thought more mature readers might appreciate Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Mm -hmm. Me, which is absolutely one of my favourite graphic novels of this year. I will put a somewhat comprehensive reading list into the show notes, but if anybody else has got any other things that they would want to suggest, obviously we will be including Princeless, Raven the Pirate Princess, Future Foundation, all of Jeremy's other works will be included in this, including the, I've completely forgotten the name of it now, The Order of Dagonet. Yes. Yes. That's that's I'm that's gonna that's gonna be in there as something people have to try and find. <laughs> I did look it up and um I found a copy of it online for uh seventy eight pounds apparently. Well I, I'm not quite sure what's going I emailed on you all a link to uh I think the first three PDFs. I've got hit I one somewhere. Marvelous. Oh I can't wait. That's bedtime <laughs> reading. <laughs> I don't need to sleep today. I always anyway. get excited over a PDF and email. <laughs> um, so thank you very, very much, everybody, for spending some time with us. Thank you, Jeremy, for coming on and talking to us. Um, next month, because it is October and we will be getting vaguely Halloween-like, we will actually be taking a deep dive into the various current and past iterations of Sabrina, Teenage Witch or otherwise. Um, And we will actually be joined, I'm very excited to say, by comics writer extraordinaire Kelly Thompson. She will be coming to talk to us about Sabrina as much as she can. There are some things that she can't tell us. but Jeremy Whitley, thank you very, very much for being with us today. Um, if people want to find you and your work online, where should they be looking? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at uh, J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Um, I actually have a website that's recently been updated thanks to my uh, amazing wife. <laughs> I fixed my website, <laughs> got it working again. Uh, it's just jeremywhitley.com. Um I've also started actually using my Instagram recently. So that's the uh, same J-R-O-M-E-5-8 uh, on Instagram. It's mostly at this point just pictures of food and my children, um, <laughs> which I think is what Instagram But they are for. brilliant pictures. Yes. <laughs> you are very into your the pictures of your food and your children. So Exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> Highly recommend. And food cooked by your children as well. <laughs> my I food, was, my I children. I was impressed with the fact that... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So that's that's all you need on Instagram. If you could throw in the occasional dog and or cat photo, you've pretty yeah, much nailed it as far as <laughs> Instagram is concerned. Uh, I don't have a dog or a cat, but I am currently writing <laughs> writing a graphic novel about dogs. So are that'll do. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I'll read anything with a dog in it as long as the dog is not dead. Okay, that's all. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> the dog is not. Is that dead, dying, or some kind of crazy situation? <laughs> that makes me cry. But, um... no, no pets will be harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> Fair. So, Lady B, where can our lovely listeners find you? You can find me on all the things at Shiny Baby B. And Lady J, where can you be found? At Jarska, all over the internet. Personally, I'm on all the various social media channels under the name Geek Country Lady. Thank you once more to our guest today, Jeremy Whitley. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us and we'll be back in your ears again soon. Whitley! Um, 
Lady B, where can our lovely listeners find you? You can find me on all the things at Shiny Baby B. And Lady J, where can you be found? She can. And is there a train she running through can't. someone's? <laughs> is it? Is anyone else getting a weird? I am definitely noise getting a weird train noise. Yeah, I am too. I think it's coming from Jess's. Yeah, I think we've just completely lost Jess. I think I might just edit in Jess's social media yep. from one of our other recordings. <laughs> she is furiously um, typing. I can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely. She has been pulled into the matrix. And the train. I just lost all my sound again, and my recorder popped up and started recording. <laughs> right, I am definitely going to edit out the train. <laughs> Which I could do with it stopping, though, so that I could say thank you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, that Jess's computer is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, oh, it's so crashed. haunted. <laughs> the train crashed. Oh, Can you hear no. me? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what's happening at your I don't end, know. But I think it's the recorder because the recorder went off and I lost all my sound before and I like shut it down and then it just popped up and was like, oh, I'm recording again and just cut out all my sound. I'm like, well, thanks for coming in at the and, last minute. And, and when it cut you out, it sounded like there was a train. <laughs> I think we're pretty sure and your recorder is a been... ghost. <laughs> yeah. Did you happen to watch a YouTube video with a girl coming out of a well? Oh my god, no. I did not. I did not. I didn't even see that message before. Has it sounded echoey the whole time? Like, yeah. And just since your recorder cut out. (sighs) So, most of the show. Sorry. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. We can deal with it. I'm going to to go back to asking Bronwyn where she could be found online because I think that's where the train went to the station. Um, and then I'll just edit all this out. I'll probably put it in as the post credit. <laughs> yes, because we definitely comedy. need this haunted. Keyboard. You know, this thing works whenever I don't want it to work. It's like up and running. This computer runs like twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. The minute I need to do something important, it's like, oh, you take a minute there. You stop right there. <laughs> anyway, now, as a technical writer okay. for a help desk, I would have asked. Uh, have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in again? Oh, don't even. My husband is a, that's what my husband does. He's an IT guy. Okay. He mm. works now in tech support for Canon's large format printers or some, I don't even, I really don't know what he does, to be honest with you. Oh, boy. Um, I know yeah. those printers. Yeah. So, so he's actually leaving for a week to go do something with printers. I don't even know. But yeah, so that's, a, he, I just don't even want to talk to him because he'll be like, did you shut up? Be like, have I shut it off? <laughs> My my first job out of university was first line IT support for the NHS, um, and I worked in the biggest local hospital. And all of the nurses loved me because if they phoned up and got anyone else, the first question would be, "Have you switched it off and back on again?" If they phoned up and got me, I would always say, "What you need to do is switch it off, pop the kettle on, have a cuppa and a biscuit, and then put it back on." <laughs> nice. Um, so all the nurses loved it when they got me because they'd be like, 
Well, the nice lady in IT said I had to have a cup of tea and a bit of Exactly. I love it. Admittedly, 95% of the time the problem was that the cleaner had been round and unplugged it to plug the vacuum cleaner yeah. in. But, yeah. See, my first job there's, at there's university was pyrofusion of soil samples to reveal the mineral content and x-ray like in an x-ray lab <laughs> yeah so you did a real degree and i studied literature <laughs> i also studied literature and my my first job out of university was blockbuster video <laughs> i went to art school so i'm no better than you guys and you guys all probably got paid more than i did so <laughs> oh blessed degrees oh, yeah. right okay so okay let's anyway, wrap this up so. late 